All right. Before we get into today's episode, I got to give a shout out to uh, our newest sponsor once again, Old Bike Bond. If you are not familiar with Old Bike Bond, then you got to go to oldbikebond.com. They got everything you need for your chopper, your cafe racer, your street tracker, uh, you know, whatever it is you're looking for. They got they got merch, they got, you know, swag, they got parts. Um, they got a lot of stuff, your old vintage uh, Japanese motorcycle. I know a lot of people are always looking for that stuff. A lot of people come in here and I can't really help them out. And I always send them over to Old Bike Barn. Um, simply go to oldbikebarn.com or on Instagram at oldbikebarn. Uh Bear's like a fucking pillar in the industry. One of the best dudes I've 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 ever met in this uh, in the uh, motorcycle industry. So uh, you definitely want to go give them a look. And you know they got stuff for Harley. They got stuff for the Japanese bikes. Everything. Um, and it's even divided up on the on the front page. You know, like you know whether you're looking for, especially if you're looking for like chopper stuff specifically or whatever or or um, you know stuff like that. But yo, check them out. Oldbikebarn.com. Instagram, Old Bike Barn. And if your dingus needs a little help, you know, if, uh, if uh, you know, during this COVID shit, we saw a lot of motherfuckers slacking on haircuts, right? You know, you see people with all these fu- oh, fucking wild hair because they haven't gotten to go to a barber or anything like that. You can only imagine what the nether regions look like. If, if shit's that unkept up top, you know down below is a fucking swampy jungle. So you got to check out manscaped.com. They got a razor called the Lawnmower 3.0. It's got special scientifically developed ceramic blades. So you don't cut yourself in the most sensitive of areas. So get down there, turn that shit on, and uh, clip away, man. Deforest that area because uh, none of your partners want to deal with that. I can guarantee it. And if they do, they got some weird fetish and... Uh, you know, you're on a different level, you know, so, uh, but check them out, manscaped.com. Not only do they have the lawnmower 3.0, they got like nose hair trimmers. They got all kinds of stuff to groom yourself. Um, they got like ball uh, toners and deodorants and things like that. Anti-chafing things for when it gets hot and uh, humid out and uh, you, uh, you know, you don't want anything rubbing around down there. Um, but check them out, manscaped.com. If you use the promo code Big Truth at checkout, you will get 20% off your order and free shipping. Don't get better than that. Again, Promo code Big Truth at checkout, 20% off your order. Also, uh, if you're looking for a new hoodie, new shirt, some new wears, you know, winter scarf, some some socks, some shit like that, check out my brothers at omertamia.com. Um, O-M-E-R-T-A-M-I-A.com. Uh, one of the, uh, the most legit and uh, one of the only lifestyle uh, brands out there that I endorse. Uh, code of the streets type shit, old school honor. Uh, fucking shutting your mouth and uh, handling your business type of shit. So check them out, amirthamia.com, on Instagram and social medias at amirthamia. Uh, and also over there, if you use the promo code Big Truth at checkout, 20% off your order. You know, and they got all kinds of rad shit. You know, I, I, you just got to go check it out. They even got an app. So uh, if you go on the app store and check, look up uh, Amirtha or Amirthamia, you'll find that. Um, they always got all kinds of specials going on and, uh, and cool shit. So get over there. And if you're into motorcycles and choppers and building bikes and chopper riding and motorcycle riding and motorbiking and all that stuff, you need to check out Chop Cult. They are the biggest online resource and information clearinghouse for the, for, for all that type of shit. And, uh, you go on there, there's a big message board and it's broken up by topic. 
Um, so you can find kind of more specifically what you're looking into uh, finding out more about. Uh, they got an online swap meet where you can buy and sell and trade parts. Um, they got an events page where you can find out about motorcycle related events going on all across the world. Um, they got newsletters where they'll push information out to you if you're too lazy to get on there. <laughs> Just, you know, whatever it takes, man. And, and it, it's cool. It's been around forever. Um, and, uh, it's legit. Uh, and, you know, I, I know Lisa over there, like, really tries her, her best and, and works really hard to make it a, a cool environment. And the best part about it, it's absolutely free to join up. You don't got to put in a credit card or nothing sketchy. Um, so check them out at chopcult.com and simply at chopcult on all the, uh, all the social medias. If you're looking for some cool fucking uh, punk and metal and hardcore related clothing or uh, seven inches, uh, you need to check out Pitchfork, pitchforkny.com. Uh, they, uh, like I, I've said before, they're a mainstay in those worlds. And uh, Warren, Warren and company have been doing some rad designs and shirts and stuff. Uh, you you might have, Warren was on my uh, podcast here a f uh, few episodes back. He was, he's been a uh, stage manager for Slayer. He's worked for every, all kinds of bands and shit. But, uh, but yeah, man, they got some of the cool fucking coolest fucking designs out there in the game. So check them out, pitchforkny.com. They also have a, a seven-inch uh, music series called uh, Back to School where they put out split seven inches, all on limited color uh, vinyl uh, colorways and stuff um, with a West Coast uh, punk or hardcore metal band on one side and an East Coast band on the other. You know, bands like Sick of It All, Murphy's Law, uh, fucking Rancid, fucking... Uh, Count Time, uh, Thug Riot. There's been all kinds of shit on there. Um, but, yeah, you just got to go check them out. Uh, PitchforkNY.com. Uh, what else? What else? Who, who else is repping? Oh, you know, uh, Chopperhead. You know, if you if you want some uh, cool motorcycle gear or apparel, parts. But we're also a full-service fucking motorcycle shop, so if you need an oil change or you need a full custom chopper built, give us a ring, 508-995-6764, 13-County Road, East Freetown, Massachusetts. You want a motorcycle helmet? Come on in. Try the fuck one on before you go try and buy one online and annoy someone because you ordered the wrong size because you couldn't read shit right or because uh, all these helmets have changed their sizing and shit and whatnot. Come on in. Uh, 13 County Road, East Freetown, chopahead.com. And, uh, you know, online, I admit, I gotta, I gotta update that shit and get more shit on there, but we're set up with everybody. So if you need a Thunderheader, you need some Bassani pipes, you know, you need an SNS fucking, you know, big boy setup, whatever you need, man, we can get it for you. So give us a call, um, or, uh, shoot us an email or, uh, order it straight online. If it's, if you don't see it online, that's what I'm saying. Give us a call or shoot us an email. Um, and you know, if you want more information on the podcast here, simply just go to bigtruthpodcast.com. Every episode's up there. Um, and, uh, I got a blog and all that stuff that I haven't really been updating that much. It's been crazy, you know, cause, um, I'm down a couple guys at the shop and I've been running around on full craziness mode where I'm trying to run the shop, trying to work in the back, trying to do the fabrication stuff, trying to uh, get some of these fucking bikes that we need uh, to do service stuff on out of here. we got a couple of big builds. It's been bananas. So, you know, don't sweat me, bro, if I'm not updating my blog. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. But I uh, hope to be able to have some more time freed up soon to be able to do some of that shit. And if you really like this podcast and you want to uh, – financially get involved meaning if you want to help me out uh, that way you can go on patreon.com slash big truth 
And uh, that's a way for you guys to to be able to support the podcast, get more involved with the podcast, um, get exclusive uh, features and benefits and like advanced copies of some of the podcasts so you get it ahead of time. Or I'm going to be doing some exclusive podcasts just for the Patreon listeners, things like that. Um, there's exclusive merch and discounts at Chopper Head, all kinds of shit. It pays for itself, actually, um, if, you, uh, if you sign up. And, uh, you know... I definitely super, super appreciate it. Um, I always put shit out there ahead of time if I know who's coming on and be like, hey, is there anything you want to know about this specific person or we're doing an M4, you know, what kind of shit you want to hear about, stuff like that. It's just a way to kind of get more involved in shit, you know, and I, I definitely uh, uh, listen and, and uh, try and get back to everyone really quickly over there and whatnot. So go to patreon.com slash big truth and you can check it out. There's four tiers of... Uh, of ways you can support from like five bucks to 50 bucks. So it's, it's, it's nothing crazy, but you know, if you look at this podcast, a lot of episodes are between two and three hours put out for a month. That's like 12 hours of content that you're getting for absolutely free. And I don't mind giving it free, but you know what? When motherfuckers choose to support, I super fucking, that gets me fucking stoked because someone, uh, is so uh, into this content that they they're willing to voluntarily pay for it man that speaks volumes uh keeps me excited keeps me going so thank you all who well thank you all to to every listener of this but especially to the patreon motherfuckers because yeah you know you you guys are, are really stepping up and even if you're not on Patreon, you can always just make sure you give us a like, give give the episodes a like, hit the subscribe button, share it with your friends, family, whoever, uh, get people involved. We want to keep this thing growing. Uh, I'm rambling on too much here. We've got a very special episode coming up next. My homie CJ Ramon. You might know him from a little band called the Ramones. So I ain't going to rabble on here anymore. Let's get into it right the fuck now. Yes, once again, we have liftoff. I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Big Truth Podcast. And I'm stoked to have my man CJ Ramon with me here. You might know him from a little band called The Ramones, or you might know him because he's had a very fucking successful uh, solo career going for, for years now. And uh, he's been touring nonstop until uh, COVID uh, hit and ruined, ruined that whole industry for everybody. So uh, <laughs> since you can't go see him right now, at least you can hear from him right now, right? <laughs> yeah. What's going on, man? Not much, just not here in uh, Southern California. Yeah, no, I remember. <laughs> Enjoying not being in the winter. Yeah, I mean, you moved not too long before all this bullshit started really popping off, right? Like it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't that. I've long been ago. out here. I've been out here like uh, this July. I'll actually be three years. But I, you know, even though my family was out here, I was on the road almost for the entire time when we when we first uh, transferred out here. And uh, since COVID hit, this is the most time I've spent at home on my ass in the same place in 30 years. Yeah, it's going to be I've crazy. never been home. Yeah, we're, we're working on two years now of, of the COVID thing, right? This March, this March will be the, the, uh, the second year that we've been in the lockdown. So, yeah, it's the longest time I've ever sat still. 
I know it's it's insane. I I can't I still can't fathom it and it seems like, you know, slowly things are starting to pick back up, but not as fast as I feel like they should be, but you know, whatever, that's whatever. Like we don't have any control over that. It's just is what yep. it is. But, you know, yep. um hopefully now that um the you know, all these uh vaccinations have rolled out, we can start getting back to some sense of normalcy at, at a at an increased rate, you know what I mean? Um Yeah. But so, so yeah, so now you're getting to enjoy sunny California, even though, you know, like, <laughs> um, how, how, how are you digging it? I mean, it's always interesting to talk to East Coast guys that, that, uh, uh and gals that transplant out West. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I know, I know right now you must be enjoying it because we've been getting fucking hammered with snow out here. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> you, I've, been, I've, been, I've been watching it, all my friends posting up stuff. Hey, foot of snow, foot and a half of snow, blah, blah. I, my whole thing when when we moved, you know, when we first moved out here, and 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 some of my buddies from out here were like, after the first couple months, were like, so how do you like living out here? I'm like, brother, if I don't have to shovel snow, I'm a happy man. Yeah, that yeah. that was the bane of my existence was having to shovel snow everywhere. But, but it 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 is a cult. It's definitely a whole different culture out here, without a doubt. East Coast. My my dad's a native New Yorker. My mom's from Boston, Mass, East Boston. I'm um, 100% East Coast guy. But so when I tell you that there's definitely a cultural difference, it definitely is. But the good thing is, is because I'm involved in the music business, it makes the transition so much easier. You know, like most of the guys I, I, I know, uh, I know out here, I knew for years before I moved out here. So I had people to call when I wanted to go do something. You know, I, I, I had somebody to call them and go, Hey, I need, I need to find a good Italian restaurant or, you know, I, who's a good tattoo shop around here. So it made know. the transition a little easier. So uh, did you find a good Italian restaurant out there? That's, that's <laughs> a big question for an East coast guy. <laughs> uh, this is the, the, the kind of the, the, the treaty I had to make with, with myself on this point is that you can't, you have to just treat it as a whole different thing. Sure. You can't come out here and expect to get Italian, you know, you know, East coast Italian food the same way out here. It's totally, totally different. But if I cook, my mom was Italian. So I learned to cook for my mom. So when we have people over and I cook Italian, they're like, Oh, this is so good. I'm like, I guess you've never been in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to them, it's like a whole different thing. But I tell you, I, I really do enjoy it, man. I've, I've got nothing but good things to say about being out here. Yeah, man. And plus, you got you got a way more increased riding season, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. So yep. are you one of those sadistic bastards that when, when all your East Coast uh, friends and family are griping about snow, you're sending them pictures of, of you standing in your pool with your with shorts on or some shit like that? Every minute. <laughs> I, anytime somebody puts up, I put up a post yesterday. The best thing about winter in New York is watching it from California. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I did a, I, I did a couple of years where I lived in Arizona and I was in Tucson and I remember that first January when everyone was like, you know, I, I was hearing all the reports of back home and snow and I'm like, yeah, man, I'm just out in my shorts walking around the, walking around the desert right now, <laughs> hiking and shit, you know, just being a dick, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, people don't understand, you know, snow for us, like what if, it, 
inconvenience it can be because yeah, you know, it's yeah. not just the shoveling, but it's like, especially if you live in the city, I mean, I live in the woods now, so it's a little different. I come home, I know I got a place to park. I got four wheel drive. If it's not plowed, I can, I can still get yep. in. But like when I yep. lived in South Boston, Dorchester, I'd drive around for like two hours to try and find a spot. You know what I mean? Like, oh it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> and, yep. then, and then God forbid you find a spot and it's the only spot there, but you didn't dig it out. Cause you know, if you, when you parked it, your, your window is going to be smashed the next day or shit like that. Yeah. You, know, you know, whatever, you know, uh, it gets brutal, man. The, we used to call it the Southie parking wars. Like people would, people would shovel out their stuff, like their spot, move their car, but put, like, right. a, put a toilet there, just crazy shit. Like, so that no one would take the spot. It's fucking bananas. <laughs> Oh man, that's great! And you know how vindictive East Coast assholes are. You know what I mean? It was just, it's just like yep. a, winter is a war for us. It's just a war for three months. You know, um, but anyway, but it's weird, man, because it's starting to snow later. Like you know, when, when I was a kid, hello, I think yeah, we the, the phone got dropped for some reason. You there? Oh yeah, yeah, that was very mine bizarre. or yours? I don't know. Uh, it looks like I still got you on two lines here, but hey, these are the glitches of having to do things over the phone. But you sound crystal clear, right. so it's perfect. But I was just saying, you Hold know, on. maybe it's my phone. Yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, but you're still on here, so we're good. We're good. Okay. Um, All right. But, but yeah, so it's just crazy, you know, like um, you know, but it's been starting to like like winter is is weird here. It's later. Like when I was a kid, I remember it used to snow in December and shit like that. And now yeah. it doesn't start snowing until like now. Like Yeah. You know, and then it goes from now to March, you know, and it's like when I was a kid in March we were already, you know, it was already spring kinda and it's not now. But when we when we lived up in Boston, I forget what year it was, it was like one of the worst blizzards they had on record. Was it sixty seven, sixty eight maybe? No, seventy eight. Blizzard of seventy eight. Oh maybe oh wow. No, so I'm thinking of a different, uh, it's got to be different because 78, we were already living uh, and we were back in New York. Okay. But when I was a kid, we were living up there and uh, one year there was a really bad blizzard. And I remember the uh, the snow drifts around our apartment building was so high that my dad actually opened up a window to get out because the, the, the snow had blown up against the front door. So when I think of like winter time, like that's what I think of, you know, yeah, yeah. but we haven't, we haven't ha really had any storms like that in a real, real long time. You yeah. know, maybe once every 10 years we'll get, we'll get hit with a, a real bad one. But I remember when I was a kid, we used to get, you know, at least once a winter, we would get like a real serious snowstorm. Yeah, no, I know it's crazy. I, I think the last big one like that was about almost ten years ago. Now I remember I was I was I was uh, at my buddy's house and I ended up getting snowed in. We could, I couldn't get out of his his uh, his street wasn't plowed and it, the snowdrifts were so high like we couldn't get out for like three days. It yeah, was, it was bananas. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I was like, man. But yeah, it is what it is. You know, it's winter. Whatever, we'll deal with it. But yeah, but but, uh, but yeah, man. So I'm glad you're enjoying it out there in sunny California. Hey, did anything? Did everything? Oh, like I remember b before you moved, like there was like a bike that you were grabbing out here and it had to get shipped. Did you, did everything ever get situated with that? I forgot to ask yeah. you about that. Oh yeah. 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 I've had it. I've had it. Yeah. I've been, I've had it for a while now. Yeah. yeah. No, I, figured, I forgot I figured. about that. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I got in touch with you to, to go over and check it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 75, uh, FLH. Yeah. So you're still riding that. Yup. Oh yeah. It, okay. And it was pretty much bone stock. It still had, all that, you know, goofy, uh, the oil lines are all still goofy on it, you know, going into the, the crankcase. I mean, the uh, primary and all of that. That's what I was thinking about doing, 
coming up the next couple of weeks, I'm not going to be, uh, I won't be riding. We, this is, we got a fair amount of rain this time of year. I'm up in Northern California. I'm in the East Bay. Okay. So this is when we get a fair amount of rain. So I was thinking maybe I'd reroute those oil lines and isolate the primary and get the, cause right now I'm in a rental. And I'm making my landlord's garage look like shit because I think <laughs> it, it's still, uh, you know, it's got the drip on the chain there. So my yeah. garage looks like a giant piss puddle of oil. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. yeah, man. But <laughs> the East Bay, man, that's a. I, I can't even imagine trying to buy something out there, man. That's like the only place where the fucking real estate's worse than like Boston and New York. Yeah, thoughts. <laughs> oh, out of control, brother. It's out of control. Although, although fact, New York has been coming down a lot, I'm sure you heard about that. Like the yeah. Manhattan yep. rents are crazy. Like people are, it's like half of yeah. what they used to be. They're giving you like three months free and craziness. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody wants to be in there, you know? Yeah, exactly. It looked like, uh, it looked for a while like it was, you know, New York City had the absolute worst uh, anywhere in the country as far as, you know, infection rates go. So, People getting out of there like it was a good thing to do. Oh yeah, but it'll turn around, you know. As soon as, as soon as everyone gets inoculated, they'll pump the rents back up and people start moving back. I know. Now's the time to buy if you get some money because it'll yeah. probably buy oh, cheaper yeah. and then you know get, sit on it a couple yep. of years and then when everyone forgets about this and then and then everyone's back in the cities and you just be like, yep, yeah, download it. Although it might be different, man, because I think one of the lessons that you know we're seeing is that people. You know, especially these big companies, they don't need to have the big New York office yeah. anymore. You know what I mean? Because yep. they, they just realize half these motherfuckers can do whatever they do for the company from home. Yep. And so they don't need the big offices and all that shit anymore. So be interesting to see what happens with all this. Because we're by and no you know means they, out of it. You know, it's going to be years till yep. this all yep. straightens oh, out. Without a doubt, brother. Without a doubt. And it, the, the other thing is, is they're actually getting more work out of people. Because, I, I mean, my wife works from home now. And what she does is she gets up in the morning and at the time she would usually be getting in the car to drive to the train station to get on the train to get to work. She's already working by 7.30 in the morning, yeah, 7, yeah. 7.30, you know what I mean? And then, at, you know, because there is no, you know, oh, I got to catch the train home or nothing, she ends up working a couple extra hours at the end of the day too. So yeah. they're actually getting more work out of her for the same money. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and, I'm and they don't, sure and they don't get to pay for her office. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So uh, I think you're hundred percent right. I think that, that one of the positives that'll come out of it anyway, will be that, you know, people will be able to just stay, you know, work out of their home, spend more time with their family and, and all of that stuff. It's, it, it's, it's a less stressful lifestyle. Yeah. If you're working out of your house and if you got to go into the city and you're running around and grabbing a greasy burger and, and you know, just doing what you could do and getting out of the city—it's just a hell of a lot less stressful this way. But we'll see, brother. You know how it goes, man. You know, sometimes the thing you think makes the most sense is going to happen, and yeah, that makes sense. And then all of a sudden, boom, everything gets turned on its head. You're like, yeah. did I just wake up in an alternate universe here, or what? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, like before this COVID shit, like, would you would you think we're out where we at? Would you think we're where we are now? No, hell no. You would never. Hell no. You never think about that. Like, imagine. Yeah. Like, you're probably like me too. You think about it in terms of like, I can't believe it's been this long. Never mind you, like performing or playing shows. How long has it yeah. been since you've like 
gone without going to a show like you know and it's yeah. like i mean i haven't yep. without gone this long. any live music yep. yeah it's bananas and, and if there is live music it's like you know way more limited and you can't really yeah i know it's starting to trickle in a little bit now but it's especially well depends where you are like florida i guess is just wide open whatever it's like wild west whatever the fuck you want <laughs> like, they are like a bunch of cowboys out there man yeah. they just don't they don't care they're just like hey if we get it, we get it. We're just going to go with it, but we can't just let all these businesses die, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I see the point. I, I see, you know, I understand that argument, and I, I, I totally get it. But f- for me, I, it's a little different because I got my dad who lives with me, sure. you know? And yeah. if he got it, man, it would make short work of him. You know, he's 80 years old. He worked on Me and him worked on a ground zero together, so... You know, he's got compromised lungs. He's only got one kidney. He developed yeah. a kidney, uh, cancer on his kidney after working down that stuff. Like, he, so I, I work hard to make sure that nobody brings it into my house. You know oh, yeah, I mean? like, oh, absolutely, yeah. But, like, if I was a young person living in Florida, I might not be so, I might, I might not care so much. I'd be like, you know, hey, you know, if I get it, I'll be in the hospital for a little while. I'll survive it, just like the flu, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But me in my position... I need to be careful. Plus, I got a, I got a, 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 my baby girl. She's a, she's only ten, and she's got asthma. So yeah, that's yeah. a, you know, I got two people in the house that are, are, uh, uh, you know, have compromised lungs. So I got to be careful. Yeah, but no, I kind of get what they're doing in Florida, uh, you know. And I, you know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's stupid. You know, that's the reason why we can't get rid of it, and blah blah. And realistically, the reason why we can't get rid of it has nothing to do with that. The reason why we can't get rid of it is that we don't have a vaccine. Yeah. Well, we didn't have a vaccine. Sure. And and at this point now, like, I, I think they said we need to inoculate 70% of the population before it's actually safe. Like, you know, before we can actually even think about going back to how we were. But, yeah. It, but here's the thing that you got to remember. Even if we get 70% of Americans inoculated that only counts if nobody else is coming in. Yep. But we have so much immigration in our country that, you know, that, you know, you're never going to get, it's going to be hard to get ahead of that. You know what I mean? So we actually need to get, we need to get everybody here inoculated. That's sure. really what it comes down to. And I know there's a whole lot of people saying, I ain't getting the vaccination for this reason, for that reason, blah, blah, and this and that. But, I mean, like I said, for me, I got to protect my fam. I got to protect my dad, my, my little girl. I got I to protect my family. So I, I do whatever I got to do to make sure that they're safe. And that's, that's my, my point on it. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And that's, that's a, that's a very, uh, you know, um, uh, understandable perspective to have, especially when you got two people compromised lungs in your household. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. what gets me about the Florida shit is like that's where so many people go to retire. So they have this massive elderly population. So you would think that their death rates would be like in the top five states, and they're not. Yeah. They're like they're kind of in the middle. So it's kind of bizarre. Like it's like, <laughs> what's going on down there? But they say the sun kills it too. So maybe it's because it's yeah. you know, more sunny yeah. down there. Who knows, man? You know. Yeah. It's a you know a lot more research a, needs to be done. You know. There, I, I mean, realistically, man, at this point. No matter what we've tried, no matter how they've gone at it and everything else, it, you know, it just seems like the it, it, it 
it keep we just keep getting these like um time periods where it spreads a lot and it's always after the holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's cuz people are getting together with their families and then it spreads with their families and stuff. But I mean, what are you going to do? You can't outlaw people getting together with their families, know, you yeah. know what I mean? You can't tell people, no, you're not allowed to go to your relative's house. And I, I mean, they tried. They told people, you know, no more than 10 people and you got to have a mask and, and this and that. But you know when people get their family over and they close the door, nobody gives a shit about what the governor says, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Nobody cares what the governor says. They they get with their fr- friends and family and everyone's <laughs> just hanging out, yeah, pounding but- <laughs> beers, eating food, sure, relaxing, yeah. kicking back. Yeah. Your your, yeah. your your own governor doesn't care what it, what the governor says though. Right? Like, <laughs> think that motherfucker got caught like, oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> he got caught red-handed being at a dinner party yeah. like with a bunch of people, no masks and all that shit. That's what's crazy, you know. It's, like, it's human nature, man. Like it's just, you know what yep. you can do. But but yeah, man, fucking, um, you know, how has it been not being able to like perform for 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 so long? Like, what have you been doing? Like, have you been doing stuff for, like? getting trying to get more creative with like like doing merch stuff or like like how you've been kind of getting by with with uh with uh you know the ability to tour so so debilitated right now so the so 2019 i, I announced that i wasn't going to be doing any more live shows i announced i'm retiring right yeah from from doing my own solo stuff um and uh and um so i was kind of prepared to be kick back and and not be doing much musically i still play bass with uh i still do some stuff with me first in the gimme gimme's i play bass with with them um but as far as my solo stuff i said i'm done you know i I got a lot of time in i had a lot of health issues at at that point and i was just really busted up and in bad shape so i was kind of prepared for it so i've kind of you know even though it's gone on longer than i i thought um I've kind of enjoyed being away from um, being away from everything for a while. This is the most time I've got to spend with my family since my kids were babies. You know what I mean? I've never, ever spent this much time with them on a daily basis. And, you know, I moved my dad in um, the February, the February um, just before uh, we locked down in March, right? We locked down March, 2020. So, um, that the February that February I moved my dad in out here. Me and my dad haven't spent this much time together probably since before I was a teenager. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like I've re- I've really been enjoying the time of just being with my family, no distractions. You know, cooking good meals every day and shooting the breeze. And I mean, you know, they get on my nerves and stuff, and I get on their nerves like every other family. But you know, the bottom line is is we. You know, we really do. We really have enjoyed the time together. But, you know, musically, I've, you know, I've been playing a lot more acoustic guitar. I've been messing around. I, on New Year's Eve, I did a little, uh, I did a little acoustic version of Old Lang Syne and put it up. And, you know, I'm, I'm playing around a little bit here and there, but I'm really, uh, I'm really trying to enjoy it being away. Sure, being yeah, away yeah. From, I remember. Hello. Hello. I gotta pause this right here and, and try and get CJ back on the line. I don't know what happened here. Hold on one second. Lenny Lashley. Lenny's been out. Oh, on the hey, road. hold on one second. You just came back on the 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 um 
the uh, the uh, thing, I don't know, the, the, the phone just did that glitch thing, and now you're only on one line. You were on two lines, so and you sound a lot clearer. So I don't know what happened. One of our I phones could. is screwy, but I missed a couple seconds of that. The last thing I heard you say was uh, I enjoyed uh, having the time off, and then it was quiet for a minute, and then I just heard Lenny okay. Ashley. So I didn't anything in between right. that I didn't pick up. I didn't know right. if you. I don't know if you said you wanted to quit because you had Lenny Lashley out with you on that last tour. I don't, I just, <laughs> no, but Lenny, Lenny will tell you, man. I, I, I'm not easy on myself on the road, but I, I really get after it. I think, like when I when I'm out on the road, like I have to make you know make all the it's all on me. Everything's yeah. on me. So. You know, and then being the the singer and the bass player and everything, it's really, you know, when you travel with a band and the name of the band is your name, it, it's, it's a fair amount of stress. So when I'm on the road, like as soon as the show is over, I am, you know, I'm getting after it pretty hard. But I was doing that for a lot of years, yeah, a yeah. lot of years. And then like end of t- 2019, I mean, I was just busted up. I was really in bad shape. I had all kinds of health problems. And, uh, and I, I probably around January, probably, yeah, probably around December, January, I said to my wife, I was like, you know, I, I just can't do this no more. I can't, I can't, I can't live like this no more. I gotta, I gotta get myself together. So I dried out, stopped drinking, changed my diet, started hiking up in the hills behind the house. And I started running and got active. I dropped like 35 pounds. You know, I've got off all my meds and, and, and I really feel good. Like now. So I've been living that lifestyle now for a year and not that I'm totally dry. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I can, I can drink a beer and watch the Super Bowl or have some wine with dinner or even, you know, have a nice little glass of whiskey on the rocks or something. But I like, I can just, I can do just that. You know, yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah. I can just do that, and it's it, it just made my whole head operate a hell of a lot better um, than when I just you know there was no such thing as having a drink or having a couple of drinks. You know, it was crack the bottle, finish the bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, I uh, get it. Yeah. Well, dude, in thirty years, thirty years of that, brother, that's you know, yeah, it, it takes its toll on you. Fuck yeah, I know I can imagine, man. But yeah, well, hey, congrats to you, man, for like being able to do that and turn shit around. And it, it's crazy how just kind of getting more um, more proactive with your own health, like how fast you can get off all the crazy pharmaceuticals and all the shit that's oh, prescribed yeah. to you, which which all that shit, you know, gives you other fucking side effects and makes you feel oh, weird yeah. and this and yep. that. And then all of a sudden you're chasing all those things and they're giving you something to deal with the side effect of the other fucking thing and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And so, yeah, man, that's fucking rad. So it's... Um, yeah, dude, I'm stoked for you that, that, uh, and then plus yeah. to be able to get to a place where now you can just have a, one glass of whiskey and not like yeah. have to go fucking full fucking bore and yeah. shit like that. That's a good place to be, man, for sure, man. It, and, and you know, the, like I've watched, you know, I, I watched some, you know, during this whole cycle of everything going on, like I've watched some people go through some major, major depressive stuff and really get hard into, you know, get even deeper in their hole. You know what I mean? Like just really getting down and, and, and you know, and dark. And, um, and I, I, I tried to, you know, I tried to, to go in the other direction. Like I was like, I'm going to make this uh, time for a positive change because without all the distractions, 
I mean, I get it. You know, some people like being, you know, they're just isolated and alone. Well, people that struggle with mental health issues, now you take away their ability to socialize and everything else, and it becomes exponentially worse. For me, uh, I needed I needed time by myself. I needed yeah. time alone. I needed time to get my head on fuck. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I'm, but I made that, I made that concept conscious decision that I was, I was like, this is a really crazy time period, but I'm going to use it to my benefit. I'm going to find a way to make it work for me. And I'm lucky brother. I was born with, I was born with more will than skill. That's always what I tell everybody. I'm one of those people. I have a, my, my willpower far outpaces, my skill, my talent or anything else. And, uh, and that, and that's served me really well a couple of different times in my life. And this time is one of them. This is a, you know, pretty dark period in general for, you know, for the world. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can either surrender and, you know, and, and give into it or, or just kind of, you know, lay back and take it easy, or you can really just get after it and do the work on yourself, you know? And I'm, like I said, I'm just lucky, brother. I got more will than skill. Yeah, man. Well, that's good, man. And, and, and I know exactly what you're saying. Cause you know, during all this it, shit didn't really change for me. I still worked every day. Cause you know, we didn't have to close down the bike shop cause it yep. was one of the essential <laughs> things, uh, the tattoo shop did, but you know, th- that was that. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I watched a lot of people I know, like either like get really bummed out and depressed or maybe, you know, stop fucking around with alcohol more or other yep. things more and fucking going down a spiral like that. And then other motherfuckers just like learn new skills and got involved in all yep. kinds of new shit and pick shit up. I'm like, when yeah. else in your life are you going to have a whole fucking year off to kind of, to kind of like that, work on shit, man? You know, you're right. hundred percent right, brother. This is, you know, you know, rich people, they see people involved in the stock market they see these times as an opportunity because now people are, are, are having struggles financially. So they're selling off their stuff. Yeah. The rich people are all out there buying it all up because they're buying it out pennies. pennies you know what I mean? Dollar, they're getting yeah. it for nothing. Yep. Um, so if, if you look at, at your quality of life in the same way, right? Where right now, it's a really rough time for everybody and, 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 and things are really tough. But if you can see the positive, like, Hey, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to, to make my life better, to stop suffering every day, to clear out some of the bullshit in my head and and work out what's really going on. What's really at the heart of what's messing me up. You know, if you, if you, if you understand it in that way and you're not afraid to sit down and look in the mirror and, and 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 just say, hey, you're a shitbird. You know, you need to straighten yourself out and start making excuses. And so, or you, or, or you look in the mirror and you go, holy shit, I can't believe I survived that. Now, how do I make myself better? Yeah. You know what I mean? As long as you're looking in the mirror and you're challenging yourself and you're asking the right questions and stuff, you could turn a bad situation like this into something positive. Yep. But you got to have that mindset. You got to have that willpower to do it. Yeah, and, and I know, brother, I, I'm. My life is, I can't complain about my life at all. I know there's people out there who have, I, I know personally people who have had messed up, bad lives, all kinds of bad stuff happen to them. And, I, and I'm not saying that they're not as good a person as I am because they can't, you know, buck up and, and take it on the chin or whatever. That's not the point that I'm, I'm trying to make. I'm just, 
my point is, is that I realized like I needed to, I needed to change. I needed to, to, you know, I needed to find out, you know, what was, you know, what was driving all that, all that stuff that I was doing, why I was beating myself up so bad, but you know, why I was, you know, just having problems with everybody in my life, you know? And, uh, you know, some people, the noise in their head is so loud. They can't, they don't, they can't get to that point. You know, they, they, they can't get to that point. They have so much going on in their head that they don't have the ability to, to stop and to realize that sometimes it takes somebody else to step in, a friend or a family member to step in and go, Hey, listen, I can tell you suffering. I can tell you hurting, whatever I can do to help you out, you tell me and I'm, you know, money, time, you know, whatever you need, I'll be there for you. Some people need that. Some people really do. But I just, you know, I felt like my whole life was all about me for so many years. You know, my family got put on the side because, uh, you know, I got to go on tour. I got shows. I got this, miss my yeah. kids' birthdays, miss my wedding anniversary, you know, constantly like pushing things out of the way so I could get out on the road and make a living and, and, and do my thing, you know? So now that, now, you know, when it, when everything stopped and all of a sudden I realized my behavior, my road behavior, I was bringing it home into my house. Yeah. And I, I was like, I can't, I can't live like this in front of my children. You know what I mean? I was like, that's, I don't want, I don't want them growing up thinking that it's cool to sit down and knock off a bottle of, uh, of whiskey, you know, watching the ball game before I go to bed. Sure. You know, that's, I realized like, wow, I got to change that. And I, I would, like I said, will got more will than skill, but you know, the, my life has been easy, you know, easy enough that I, I still have, I still have the ability to recognize that, but you know, but there's some people out there suffering a hell of a lot more than I ever did that are really struggling through this. And it's, you know, I got a couple of buddies. I, I call up and check on them every couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Put the call in. Hey, how's it going? Just to make sure they're still around. Yeah. You yeah. know, people in some dark, dark places, but that's, you know, that's one thing I, I try to tell everybody too is reach out, reach out to your friends, man. You never know what's going on when, you know, when, uh, when everybody else ain't around, you never know what's going on in their head, you know? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Like some of the people I know that have taken their own lives, like you would never even know, like, you know, when you just saw them socially yep. out and about, they'd be smiles. Hey, yeah, everything's going great. Blah, blah, blah. You know, everyone puts on like people that are really going to do that shit. A lot of times put on a facade that there's, you know, oh, yeah. better than it is, you know, and then, um, yeah. you know, and then people that, you know, are threatening it. They're also crying out for help, too. You know, I'm not I'm not yep. I'm not discounting that. But I, but it's but it's just like you said, reach out to people because you never you never know. Uh, you never know. You never know. It might be a guy who, you know, who's, you know, who's sending everybody weird messages like, hey, I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for everything you ever did for me and blah, blah, blah. You got to watch out for those guys. But you got to watch out for the other guys too, who will always act happy. They never seem yeah. down, and you know, and and everything is yeah. Let's get together and have a drink. Blah 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 blah. And you got you know, there's so many different signs, so many different you know ways that people are are putting it out there that they're on the edge, you know. But the only way you know, the only way you're ever gonna know is is if you if you do the work, you know what I mean? If you put the work in and, and really be a friend and just call up and be like, Hey, what's up? You doing all right? Yeah. Everything's good. 
you you know you you know you're staying engaged you're doing your things that make you happy you know like like you know obviously we're, we're both into bikes right probably a lot of people are listen you know uh, at the when th- my wife knows when things are, are really bad because I'll just go out, get on my bike, and take off without saying anything. Yeah. I won't even say nothing. I'll just get on my bike and leave. You know what I mean? Because that that for me is there isn't a therapy or a drug or type of alcohol I ever had that ever matches what it feels like to get on the bike and just bust out and blow everything off. Put the put the uh, put the tent on the back and just hit the road and go, you know what I mean? Get away for a week, two weeks, whatever. And just get out there and do it. That to me, it works better than anything else that works better than anything else. But you know, that that's the thing that I, I, I think about, you know, there's people out there who do the opposite. They run to drugs and alcohol yeah. you know, when they hurt. And that's what they run to. And the problem with that is, man, is it just, you know, just makes the hole that much deeper every time. Yeah, even if temporarily you feel better in the long run, that's yep. just going to, you're just digging deeper. Yeah. Know, with, especially with brain chemistry, if you understand what that stuff's doing to you inside. But but yeah, so but speaking of riding and shit, man, how are you enjoying the riding out there in in, uh, in, uh, in Northern California? <laughs> oh, it's nice, brother. It's so nice. And you know what? Beautiful thing, too, is, is I, got, I got friends down in uh, Southern California, too. So, like, I do the ride. It's, you know, it's, seven, eight hour ride, maybe a little bit more down to like San Diego area. Yeah. And man, it's so nice. Yeah. San Diego <laughs> is beautiful. I, I, yeah. I don't understand why LA is so congested in San Diego is, I mean, it's I San Diego is not empty, but you know, it's got to share yep. things, but like, I mean, it's so much, it's so fucking beautiful in San Diego and the yep. weather is like perfect, like year round, uh, for the most part, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I, I tell you in all, in all honesty, the uh, I, I really miss riding. I really miss riding on the East Coast. You know, what I mean, it's especially like in the spring and in the fall when the air is cool and dry oh, yeah, yeah. and the carbureted. You know, it, it, that's that's carbureted weather. You know, <laughs> you know of course my bike's carbureted, but that's my bike always runs good in that weather. But you know, even like. Even the corny shit, like the change in the seasons, you go for a ride up the Adirondacks or whatever, and all the trees are, are changing colors and everything. I mean, that's just beautiful. You know what I mean? It's gorgeous. So riding up the East Coast, I did a ride one year. I went um, I went from Long Island. I rode up to Maine. I stopped and saw my mom and dad when they were living up there. Well, first, actually, I stopped in Drake and, uh, and uh, met a friend of mine. He came with me. And then went up to my mom and dad's in Maine. We rode all the way up to um, all the way up to Canada. Took a ferry across to Nova Scotia. Rode all in Nova Scotia. Then rode New Brunswick, all the way up to New Northern Quebec, and then back down to Maine, and then to Mass, and then uh, Long Island. That was some of the most beautiful riding I've done, and I've ridden through all the lower forty-eight. I've you know I and I did it all on a rigid. I did it on the Lollapalooza tour in '96 for Men's Retirement Tour. Nice. Well, what what was the bike? It was a rigid what, like an Evo or, or, or an Evo? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I had bought a when I got to the Ramones. Um, we toured a lot, right? So I, I didn't even, you know, I I didn't I never had time to spend my paychecks, and I didn't make a lot. I made three hundred fifty dollars a week, but 
because I wasn't home a lot, I lived on my per diems when I was on the road and I socked away all my cash. So after like the first, I don't know, year, two years, I was in the band. I had 15,000 cash saved. Yeah. I went down to the Harley Davidson dealer. I walked in, I point, I pointed over, I pointed to uh, the fat boy. I was like, I want to take that, that bike home today. And I put the cash down on the, on the guy's <laughs> desk. And he was like, all right, let's do the paperwork. So I bought a brand new fat boy in um, February in 92. And it was bone stock flat boy. The fat boy, you know, was yeah. black. Just, um, and uh, in uh, June of that year, I think it was June, June or July, maybe. Um, well, it was graduation night or prom night or something like that. I was uh, I was riding a couple of miles from my house, and the old story: some kid going to a party, yeah. made a left turn in front of me. I never even hit my brakes. I went face first off his windshield, rolled over the, the roof of the car and actually landed on my feet and turned around and watched my bike slide off the hood of his car and hit the, hit the pavement. <laughs> and I, I, I hit, I hit him at 40 miles an hour. Yeah. And when I tell you there wasn't anything left of the bike, I mean, the, the motor and the tranny were the only thing salvageable frame. Even the swing arm was bent. Yeah. It was just totally destroyed. I think I saved the, the, um, the pulley, um, um, secondary pulley. And then I saved, um, the oil tank, I think it was, and the motor and the tranny. So, um, uh, I had a friend that owned a boneyard, so he bought the wreck off my insurance company. And then I, and then, you know, for, for $50 or something. And then I bought it off him cause you can't buy it directly off the insurance company. Cause that's like anti-fraud laws or something in New York. Yeah. But, um, so I got the wreck back to my house. I pulled the motor in the tranny. I bought a Palco, uh, wishbone, um, frame, a rigid, and I bought a, uh, um, I put a center line on the back and a spoke on the front. Um, I had just like a three and a half foot sissy bar on it with 10 inch apes. But I, uh, a buddy of mine had a machine shop. So I, I, uh, designed these, um, risers that I wanted to use that look like, they look like dog bones, but they were just a little bit different. Okay. And he machined them out of, uh, aluminum for me and then you know 92 nobody was making um there weren't a whole lot of aftermarket parts for uh evos and i wanted i wanted a, a three inch open belt so you couldn't they didn't make one for a five-speed tranny so i bought a four-speed shaft pressed the gears off the five-speed shaft and then pressed them onto the four-speed shaft it fit right in the case and then um, we uh, we milled up a um, bearing support for it, and we used a, a four-speed um, three-inch open belt on it. Um, and I was running a Morris Magneto with no battery, no battery in it. I had um, what else did I have on that thing? I don't know. I, I, I uh, stroked the motor to ninety-six, but. Um, yeah, that bike I rode that thing through all the lower forty eight 
got so, a so ticket you, in almost every single state too. Yeah, so, but so so were you riding it like on tour when like so the band would jump in the yeah. bus or something and you would just jump on the a, bike and follow? No, I had a um a pickup truck and I had a friend of mine follow me um with a trailer with all my tools and everything because the deal was when we got we were doing our retirement tour in '95, right, and then you know slugging it out in the same little clubs, and then we got offered Wildpalooza in '96. But when I wrecked my bike in 92, I told Johnny, listen, the summer 96, don't book anything because I'm going to do a cross-country motorcycle trip. So when Johnny came to me at the end of our tour in 95 and said, hey, we got off at Wallapalooza next summer, I told him, I was like, hey, John, listen, why don't you get Dee back in the band and do the final tour with Dee Dee and Tommy, get Tommy to come back and play drums. I said, it'll be a really poetic end to a really awkward career. I was like, you know, the fans will love it. The press will love it. You know, it'll be a really cool end of, you know, the Ramones career. And Johnny was like, he was like, no, he was like, just take your time and think about it and, and, and let me know. So I thought about it and I really, I felt bad that like our retirement tour was doing the same clubs that they've been doing all these years. And I, I was like, yeah, they, des- they deserve a better send off than that, you know? Yeah. So I went back to John and I was like, Hey, John, listen, here's the deal. I'll do the tour, but I'm doing it on my bike. And I'm I'm not keeping the, no, no schedule except my own. I said, you know, I'll be there for the show, but what I do before and after is my time. And he was like, all right, but if you miss a show, you lose a week's pay. Week's pay was 500 bucks. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's going to break the bank. So, um, uh, so... At first, I was just going to head out on my own. But the problem was, is, you know, I was on the road so much, I didn't get the bike finished until like a month before we were leaving on this trip. So I had almost no braking time on it, like none. So I, um, I got, uh, I got, um, at first I had a van. A friend of mine following me, following me with the van and the trailer, but the van shut the bed. So we got back to New York to play. I uh, I picked up a pickup truck and then uh, finished out the tour in that. So that tour was I don't know a couple of months. Yeah. And then um, when the tour ended, it ended out in L.A. So I spent another m- month, probably just riding around. You know, just I spent a lot of time out in the Southwest, New Mexico, Arizona. Utah. I came up here, stayed in San Francisco for a little while with a friend of mine, uh, tattoo uh, tattoo artist who had just opened up a, or who was in the process of opening a shop. So I spent a couple weeks with him, but um, yeah, I did the whole whole thing on that on that rigid. That's rad. What there's going to be? What's some of the more interesting uh, highlights from 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 that trip? Doing doing a doing a uh, uh, you know a tour like Lollapalooza, you know cross country type tour like on a, on riding your rigid uh, behind the band and stuff like what some wacky shit it, had to happen, man. <laughs> well, this this is a good one. We were playing. I think it was in it was either New Hampshire or New or Vermont, and uh, uh, a good friend of mine, um, Steve Bonji from the third street crew in, in, uh, Manhattan. So I told him, I said, Hey, you know, if, 
any of the local chapters want to come out to some of these shows, let me know and I'll, I'll leave word at the gate. So he was like, all right. So we were playing, I, I can't remember, man. I feel bad about it. It was either New Hampshire or Vermont. And um, uh, so I would always get to the site early, you know, before everybody else, um, you know, any of the bands or anything. I would get there like when the site was just being built usually. And that's when I would sleep. I'd get in and, you know, get, get over to our trailer and just lay down, park the bike, lay down and get some sleep. So um, we're at the show. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Band, sh- I'm sleeping in the dressing room. Band shows up. We're hanging out, and uh, uh, our um, tour manager gets a, a call over the radio. Hey, Monty, can you come over to uh, production? So he goes over to production, and he comes back over. He's like, CJ, there's like a bunch of hell's angels at the gate saying they're here as your guest. I was like, well, tell them they better open the fucking gates. So, uh, so that's, you know, they, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go out and meet them. So I jumped on my bike. I rode out to the, uh, rode out to the gate. I met them at the gate, came back. They lined up their bikes in front of the Ramones trailer. You know, all the other bands, Rancid, Metallica, Soundgarden, they're all coming by looking at all the bikes and stuff, you know? So, um, uh, our set time comes up. So I got them set up on the stage, you know, had them put out some chairs, a couple of coolers, drinks and stuff, got them all set up. We play the, we play the show. Um, and, uh, we come off stage and they met me on the side of the stage. So on this, I got to give you a little extra thing here on this, uh, on this tour, the Tibetan, uh, the Shaolin monks were on the tour. Okay. Yeah. They were I, doing I remember that. Kung Fu. I re- right. Yeah. I remember so, something about that. Yeah. So, so we come off stage, meet the guys from the club. We're walking back to the, to the trailer and I'm talking to them. We're all laughing. And I look and here's the Shaolin monks sitting on their motorcycles, taking pictures. <laughs> so I, I, tur- I turned to the, the, uh, the one dude that I'm um, walking with. And I, I said, I was like, Hey, these guys are Shaolin monks from China. They have no idea of what's going on here. And he, and, and it was so funny. He, he said to me, he goes, what do you think? We're stupid. We're going to pick a fight with a bunch of Kung Fu guys and get our asses kicked. So everybody could talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> so the, this was the coolest thing. And it was the best thing that happened on the tour. These guys and they're all patch holders, legitimate patch holders, went over and took pictures with the Shaolin monks standing next to their motorcycles and stuff. Shook hands with them and and uh, and it was. For, for, I stood back for a second. I was like, man, that's two warrior, two warrior groups meeting up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was yeah. like, only only something like this could bring two groups of people like that together and have it turn out like that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I had so much respect for those guys after that. I was like, man, that is that is some good stuff. But it was um but that whole tour was like that. Like all kinds of really cool stuff happened. I have one day I got stuck at the Canadian border. I went to the wrong crossing. We were playing up in uh Montreal and I went to the crossing in like Jackman, Maine or something like that. We were supposed to be over you know, over a, a little bit further west. 
So when I went in, the guy was like, you're at the wrong border crossing, threw my papers back at me. I said, can I speak to the officer in charge? And he was like, he was like, why? I said, because I have special circumstances I'd like to talk to him about. So the, so he said, well, you can explain it to me. So I said, I'm, I'm part of a music tour. I'm supposed to be on stage in two hours. I know I'm a two hour ride from, from there right now. I said, I really need to get across the border right now. So the guy said, um, what tour? I said, Lollapalooza. He's like, okay. So he went over and I'm watching him talk to the commanding officer. And the guy looks over at me. He comes walking over and he goes, who are you? I was like, my name is uh, CJ Ramon. I play in a band called the Ramones. He's like, yeah, I heard of the Ramones. I said, um, I I need to get across the border. I'm supposed to be on stage in two hours. And, um, and, uh, I said, you know, if there's somebody you need put on the guest list or anything like that. And he said, um, yes, I do. He said, if you could put my daughter and her friends on the guest list, then uh, I can, uh, I can get you through. So I was like, okay, no problem. You got it. Just write down their names. And he put a phone on the desk in front of me. He said, call your manager. (laughs) I was like, this guy is sharp. So I called up my manager, Monty Melnick. And, uh, I was like, Monty, I'm stuck at the border. I'm going to put you on with the officer in charge here. Just give him whatever he needs. So we got on the phone and he took Monty's information down in his phone number and hung up the phone and then called Monty back. So, um, so Monty got it all straightened out and they stamped our stuff and, and they let us through. So now we got this, you know, we got to make a beeline for this, uh, for the show. And, um, uh, we ended up making it there on time, but I think it was, um, the violent fans went on in our slot, uh, because they weren't sure if I would make it on time. So they actually went on an hour slot and it was, um, Oh, you guys just like traded, traded slots. Yeah. Right. So, so when I got there, the first thing I said to Johnny was I didn't miss the show. I'm here. I had 10 minutes and he was like, yeah, it's okay. It's all taken care of. So uh, that was about as close as I came <laughs> to, to losing a week's pay, but it was wild. But you know, it was rigid. I didn't have a lot of time to break it in. It broke down a lot. I had, you know, you know two, my two biggest problems were I had upswept pipes on it. I had the old Flash Gordon style pipes on it, and um, the 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 uh, chamber where the baffles are just kept from the vibration just kept busting open, sure. and then my sissy ball kept breaking. So I mean, it was like every four or five days I was combing the phone book looking for a welder you know yeah yeah um but after the show up in montreal uh, there was uh something happened in the city there was like some kind of big problem in the city like a riot or something i don't i don't remember but um the metallicish truck drivers we used to see them every night just about you know we'd pass them or they'd pass us well we'd end up seeing them in a truck stop so they came over to me uh and we're, they were like, um, why don't you take a break tonight? Throw your bike in the back of the truck and, uh, and, and, uh, sleep in the, sleep in the, in the cab. And I was like, man, I would really appreciate that because you know, I wasn't getting all that much sleep. Sure. Yeah. Cause yeah. Metallica was the headliner on the tour. So they had their own tour of the States planned for after Lollapalooza. So we weren't playing in the A markets and the B markets. We were playing like C and D markets 
So the drives overnight were like four or 500 miles. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a, you know, there was a fair amount of riding to do after the show. Yeah. So it, was, it wasn't in 400, 500 miles. It's one thing in a car or a truck or whatever. It's another yeah. thing on a bike. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a wholly different thing on a bike. So, you know, so I, I, no joke, you know, I'm not exaggerating. I spent more than one or two nights sleeping on the bike in a gas station parking lot with, you know, with my blanket over my head, yeah. you know, that that's just how it went. We would ride all night. And then, like I said, get to the site early and, uh, get over to the, the, um, the trailer and, and catch some sleep then. But, um, you know, I did a fair amount of camping out too. And, you know, we camped out in some, you know, not campgrounds. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was sometimes we pulled over just out, you know, just get out of the view of the road in a, in a little, you know, bunch of trees and, and pitch tents to, to catch a little bit of sleep. But it was, uh, you know, this is no GPS, no cell phone. It's a paper maps and, and, uh, and paying attention, you know? Yeah. 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 And the old, uh, kind of put some of the directions on the, on a piece of paper and stick it to your tank yep. thing and all that. Yeah. Man, that, yeah, but that's, that's fucking rad, dude. That must've been, that's something that will be with you forever though. I'm sure like just that experience was fucking incredible. Yeah. That's why, that's why I tell everybody, you know, riding, riding's giving me some of my best memories, you know, in my life. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I can't imagine, you know, traveling the world, you know, flying places and, you know, drive, you know, touring in other countries. I, I loved all of that stuff. It was all great. And I'm, I'm a, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a well-traveled person, but nothing, nothing compares to, to riding, to being somewhere and riding. We were in, uh, oh man, we were in Patagonia way down there, you know, bottom of South America. And, um, I went down to a, a, a local motorcycle shop where they rented BMWs and I was like, yeah, I want to rent a BMW and go riding up in the mountains. And the guy was like, Hey, if you want, you know, one of my guys will take you out, you know, so you can, you know, do more off-roading and, and, and whatnot. And I was like, yeah, heck yeah. The stuff, the, we were riding on goat trails on yeah, the side yeah, of a mountain yeah. and I was way outside my comfort zone, but, it, it just the views were unbelievable, and I just couldn't believe I was even doing the shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But um, right. I'm telling you, like, how else are you going to get those experiences? You know what I mean? You, you see everything, you smell it, you experience it in a different way than you know sitting in the car, or sitting on a tour bus, or flying over it. You know sure, what I mean? Yeah. It's just a whole different thing, brother. Oh no, I know. I, I, it's funny because you mentioned some of that and going out of your comfort zone stuff. My uh, a, a buddy of mine, this guy Bear, he has a, a a company called Old Bike Barn, but he also does these like adventure motorcycle tours, like through like the Himalayan mountains and all places like yeah. that. And you're crossing those fucking those little fucking rope and fucking wood bridges and doing all that shit. And I'm I'm definitely going on one at some point. I've been trying, like I've been I'm supposed to have been gone on a couple of them, but it's just hard getting yeah. all, the, all the time to to do that. But yep. at some point, yeah, I'm yeah. say fuck it and make that time. And you know, obviously travel yep. restrictions are crazy now and everything but that's something I'm, I'm i'm super looking forward to like and 
I definitely like I'm not a heights guy. Like it's like the only thing that bothers me. So it's like one of those I things. I hate where, heights, brother. Yeah. So to be on these little dirt roads, <laughs> on these mountain roads on heights, I'm gonna be like yeah. I know I'm gonna be one hundred percent out of my fucking comfort zone. But I but at the same yeah. time, you know, I'm like, fuck, can't wait for it, you know what I mean? But Yeah. Um, but but what even got you into riding in the first place? And was that your first bike that that fat boy you bought with your with your No, uh, I I um I, I rode bikes from when I was a kid. You know, okay. I, I, everybody, well, at least where I lived, everyone rode dirt bikes and go-karts and <laughs> three-wheelers and whatnot. And um, when three-wheelers were still legal. Yeah, when they were still legal. Uh, but I got, uh, I, the, you know, I, so I went from the dirt to the street with no problem, you know. Um, but it's, uh you know, it's just when I when I was a kid, my dad hung out with a couple of guys who rode, and I just always I just always loved Harley's I, I, from the first time. I, and I can remember when I was a kid, my dad had a uh, my dad um, worked for a Ford. Um, he was a parts guy at Ford when I was a kid, so I was constantly around hot rods and and motorcycles and stuff. But I just it was just so burned into my into my brain from when I was a kid that I wanted one when I grew up, you know, and then watching easy rider and all the outlaw bike biker flicks when I was a kid, you know, just, (laughs) there was no, I couldn't escape it. You know what I mean? I just loved it. I loved it. So that's, uh, that's why, you know, as soon as I got, you know, when I auditioned for the Ramones, I was in the Marine Corps. So, you know, I was, I was I was actually living out here. I was, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, but it, as soon as I was back in civilian life, working with the Ramones and, and saved up enough money, that was the first thing I did. Was I pulled a new fucking Harley? Yeah. So when when like how did that come about? How did how did you go about getting an audition with the Ramones? And what you joined? What was like eighty nine? Eighty nine. Yeah. I, you know, I had a friend who played drums for um, Joey's brother, Mickey. Okay. They. Uh, I think the name of the band was Stop at the time. My buddy Frank Saida, he played uh, played with uh, Mickey Lee, and um, I was home. I was home from the Marines. I was uh, staying with my mom and dad, and he called me up, and he was like, "He's like, hey man, the, the Ramones are auditioning the bass play uh, bass player tomorrow at uh, SIR Studio in Manhattan." I go, "Yeah, that's cool." I, I was like, "I'm in the Marine Corps, brother," and he, and then I was like what am I talking about? I can go down and meet the Ramones, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I just, I was like, the hell with it. I got my, uh, I, you know, got my base out, dusted it off. Next day I got down, you know, I got down to the studio like 15, 20 minutes before the auditions were supposed to start. I wanted to just, you know, get in there and meet them. Um, and I went in and, uh, the drum tech, Mitch Keller met me and then he introduced me to Monty, the tour manager. And he asked me my name and a couple questions and he said, okay, I'm going to bring you in to meet the band. So I went in and Johnny was standing there setting up his amp. Mark was behind the drums there. Uh, uh, Johnny's tech, Rick Weinman was setting up the bass amp. So I walked in, put my bass down, walked right over to Johnny, you know, un totally unafraid and unintimidated. I just walked right up to him and I was like, Hey Johnny, Chris Ward, nice to meet you. Big fan, man. And he was like, Oh, okay, good to meet you. You know, blah, blah. walked over, introduced myself to Mark, and then uh, got my bass out, got plugged in, and he was like, Johnny was like, Okay, what do you know? I was like, uh, I want to be sedated. And 
I didn't play. I ne- I never played in. Um, I never played in a punk rock band before. I was a heavy metal guy. I was Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest. Yeah. I was like that. You know, I lived out in the suburbs. My town was the kind of town like if you didn't listen to Man of War, you got your ass kicked. That <laughs> that was like that's the town I grew up in. So um, so I didn't know any remote songs, but I just figured out I want to be sedated, and I think one other one before I I went to the city. So Mark counted it off and we played it and then Johnny was like, oh, okay, yeah, sounds good. So he started asking me questions. I had a Yankee hat on, of course. And he's like, oh, you're a Yankee fan? I was like, yeah. So we talked baseball a little bit. And then um, Johnny's big question for everyone it was, uh, how many Ramon shows have you seen? That's how he gauged whether or not you were a real fan. If you saw them more than 10 times, you were a real fan. So I said, yeah, I probably saw you like 15 times or something. He's like, oh, okay, you're a fan. All right, good. So, um, uh, we played through the song one more time. And while we were playing, Joey walked in. So as soon as the song was done, I put my bass down. I walked over to Joey, shook his hand. I said, Hey, Joey, Chris Ward. I said, I'm friends with Frank Saida. He plays drums and Mickey's band. He's like, Oh yeah, I heard you were coming. Yeah. So Mike came over and he was like, okay, thanks for coming down. We'll call you. Blah, blah, blah. So I, studio i was like holy shit i can't <laughs> believe i just played with the ramones you know yeah, went, even, oh even, God, even if you didn't get it you I, were like i i played with the ramones <laughs> yeah yeah i told you i i dialed up everybody in my phone book i'm not gonna <laughs> believe it i just jammed with the ramones I was like what so um next you know that night i went out with my buddy's party and had a good time told him the whole story um and then uh I think it was the next day or maybe the day after my mom was like, Hey, Monty Melnick from the Ramones called you and brother, no joke. My first thought was, but I leave something at the studio. Yeah, yeah. I thought like maybe I left my strap or my cable behind or something. Like literally that was my first thought. That was the first thing that came to my mind. So, um, I called, uh, I call up Monty and he goes, okay, uh, the guys like you learn a couple of more songs, you know, anything from the live set. And, uh, and then come back uh, next Monday. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. You know? Yeah. So um, that started the process. I, I auditioned, you know, I guess. So, five, so was it like six, rounds? Five. Like, was it like you guys, you know, they had a bunch of auditions the first day and then only some guys got called yeah. back for next Monday type of thing? Yeah. Well, it's funny enough. Here's the, this is the, the funniest thing, right? So, once I got through that first audition, I went down early and I stayed later to watch the other guys auditioning. Uh, right. Yeah. Because I was a Ramones fan. I knew Johnny just wanted a, a DD guy. He just wanted somebody that was not necessarily look like DD or whatever, but at least look like a Ramone. You know what I mean? So I, you know, I see like a big tall blonde guy and be like, yeah, he's not getting it. Or, you know, you know, dude with like, curly black hair and I'd be like, yeah, he's not getting it, you know? And then I, I would hear guys like riffing, like outside the, st- I would hear them like riffing to Ramon songs, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh man. So, um, yeah, so that, that's what it was is, you know, they were, I think they were auditioning like, you know, I, I think in the end they auditioned like 70 guys. Wow. Yeah. I heard 40 and I heard 70. So um, I imagine it's somewhere in the, in between that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, even 40, as it turned out, yeah. only two people actually ever got callbacks. And that was me and Phil Caivano who played in Blitzbeer. And then of course went on to play with monster magnet. Yeah. 
um, who was, you know, definitely a better bass player and singer than I, than I am. But, um, Johnny said because he had curly hair, he, uh, he couldn't, you know, he wouldn't fit in the band. <laughs> John, Motherfucker should have done his homework and straightened that shit. Fucking relaxed yeah. it before he went in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's funny. Like I'm friends with Phil, uh, and, and, um, and like, I was a fan of Blitzbeer. Like I was a fan of his band before yeah. I was in the, before I was in the Ramones. So like I used to go see his band play, you know? Yeah. And then later on, when I met him and, and we got to be buddies, I, and I uh, I said to him, I was like, man, you know, I, I, I can't believe that I ended up getting the audition. Uh, like, I would have definitely, any any other band would have picked him, you yeah. know what I mean, without a doubt. You know, just his songwriting ability and his, and his, and his chops are really good. But with Johnny, you know, it really was all about you know, the, the, the image of the band, sure. you know, it was a very particular image, you know? So, um, but me and Phil had a good laugh about it. We, we actually ended up touring together later on in Europe and stuff. And, and he's a great, great guy, talented dude too. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, so that's how it went. You know, it's, um, it was literally, uh, only two callbacks out of, out of everybody who auditioned. It was just me and Phil. Wow. And I was the first guy that auditioned <clears throat> years later, uh, a friend of mine, well, a friend of Johnny's who I became friends with told me that Johnny called him at the end of the first day and was like, first guy who came in, boom, he was, he's the guy oh. like Johnny knew it from the first time I auditioned that I was, the, that I was the guy for the job. And, uh, and yeah, and, and thank God, I mean, but Johnny and I had a lot in common. You know, Johnny went to military school when he was young. I was in the military. We both came up in blue collar, Irish Catholic blue collar families. You know, we really had a lot in common, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and because I was coming, you know, right from the Marine Corps into the Ramones, like I was, so mission oriented. So like when, when, when Johnny started asking me about drug problems and drinking and blah, 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 I just said to him straight up, I was like, Johnny, I know you got rules in the band. You tell me what they are and I'll follow them. I just don't want to get in trouble for shit that I don't know about. And he was like, yeah, no problem. So when I came into the band, I, I, I act as like a stabilizer within the band, right? They had gone through years of, you know, drug and alcohol stuff, right? You know, Mark had substance, uh, Mark had uh, alcohol problems. Didi had alcohol and substance abuse. Joey had alcohol and substance abuse. Um, the band was really unsta uh, unstable for a very, very long time. So now Didi le left the band. Mark, you know, Mark was um, in the program. Uh, Joey had quit drinking. Uh, so Johnny, that's what Johnny was looking for. He was looking for somebody who would just come in and do the job. Yeah. And that was what I was all about. When I got into the band, that was all I was about. I was like, you tell me what you need me to do and I'll get it done. And you know, the last couple of times I saw the Ramones, like they were, they were really a shadow of what they had been. Like Dee Dee was like just strumming the strings open. They would shut them off at the board and you know, nobody was really moving around on stage. And it was really, they just really weren't what they had been. So when I got there, my my 
total 100% goal was to make the Ramones exciting live again. And uh, so when I went out on stage, I just turned my brain off. I just turned my brain off and just went for it 100%. Because, you know, I went from, literally, I went from sleeping in a room with 80 other guys to being on stage in front of a couple thousand people within a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, the transition was, was, you know... That's a that's a big transition to make, you know. What I mean, and while you know, most people are like, oh, I would have been so excited too, but, but it ain't easy to stand on stage next to people that you idolize and and grew up with, and and suddenly be playing in a band with them. Yeah, you know, what I mean, it was it, it was fairly intimidating. But and plus, the way being, I looked at plus it being was, the new guy, so like the fans are like, who the fuck's this? You know what I mean? Oh, brother, <laughs> I got pelted, spit on hit with bottles, boots, any everything you could imagine, man. I got put through the ring. It was total trial by fire. But I loved it. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. You know what I mean? I the fans made me earn my spot on the stage. They really, really did, man. I mean I put up with some crazy abusive shit while I was up there. But I would walk right we were playing in England on my first tour. The first night, the first show from jump, I was covered in spit. I had my lip busted open, hit with a boot. Just the fans were just brutal. Yeah. But I walked to the edge of the stage every time I was supposed to. I went out there. Finally, this girl gets up on her boyfriend's shoulders right in front of me with this big sign that says, We want Dee Dee. I walked back to my amp. I picked up my water bottle. I turned around. I blasted her right in the chest with it, knocked her off her boyfriend's shoulders. And the crowd went wild. <laughs> All of a sudden, they were chanting "CJ, CJ!" Like it, that was it. Just flipped the switch, like because I know, I, I, you know, you know. Sometimes you're in a bad situation, and how you react dictates how you're going to get through it. Right? Sure, yeah, absolutely. You show weakness. To a pack of wolves, brother, you're gonna get ripped apart. Yeah, yeah. The, and that's a, a pack of wolves that have already, was. yeah, that have already spit on you and threw boots at your face yep. and fucking this and that. It's like, guess what? You gotta, you gotta retort with some of the same shit. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that's and every country I went to, I had to hit, hit that. So I was in the band for two years, going to a new country for the first time, and have to go through the same thing. So even like way past when I was the new guy in the yeah. band, I was still going to places and get roughed up. But like I said, I, I, I loved it. I loved every second of it because I, I knew I was earning my spot. And, and when I heard Dee quit the band, I was in a truck with my friend and I, and they came on the radio, you know, DJ came on and said, Dee Ramon is a mess. He's leaving the Ramones. He wants to get sober. And I turned to my buddy and I said, I'll never go to another Ramon show <laughs> because it ain't the Ramones without Dee Because Dee Dee was my guy in the band. I was a hardcore Dee Dee fan. I loved Dee Dee. He was my guy. Dee Dee and Johnny. I, I just thought that they were like the two most exciting dudes I had ever seen play on stage. And uh, But I couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. went to every show they ever did ever yeah, again. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You didn't go to a show as a fan. You know what I mean? You, yeah. You yeah. Went as, as the, as the, as the replacement. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, man. So 
what's been some of the standout, like, I know, you know, you had about what, like six or seven years of torn with them. Like yeah. what, besides, yep. besides knocking that chick off her boyfriend's uh, thing and get, and getting the respect <laughs> of the crowd off his shoulders, what would have been some of the, the, the kind of standout memories for you in doing that, you know, cause that's such a rad story. Like of, of like how you even, you just said, fuck it and went down there and not thinking anything. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're the guy, you know, um, but like what, what's some of the kind of standout things for you in, in your career with the Ramones? So that, that's a big one. You know what I mean? Like my first show, that's a, that's a real, real big, that's a real big one. You know what I mean? Um, it's, uh, you know, there's a couple of highlights throughout the years, uh, of like special, you know, special moments and, uh, of, um, of stuff I did, you know, with the band on stage. Like, you know, I always wanted to play the song outside. Outside is my favorite Ramon song. I always wanted to play that song live and I, I can't remember where we were, but I, one night I said to him, because uh, Johnny picked the songs for the set. I said to him, John, can we just try to do Outsider? And he was like, um, I think I remember it. Yeah, sure, we can give it a shot. So we ran it down in soundcheck and then we did it live. And it didn't come off really great live, but it just meant, it really meant a lot for me to play that song on stage with them. Even though I'd been in the band for a while and everything like that song was just so important to me, you know, and, uh, and Johnny and Johnny gave it the thumbs up to play it. So that was like a big moment for me, but like, you know, when we played on Lollapalooza Soundgarden had me come up on stage and play Ty Cobb with them. I mean, I was a Soundgarden fan before sure. I was in the Ramones. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, I was sitting in the in the dressing room one day, and I was I was just playing some riffs. And Ben and Chris ha- happened to be in the dressing room. I was warming up before a show, and I was playing uh, some Soundgarden riffs. And Ben was like, "Holy shit, play that again!" <laughs> <laughs> so I played it again. So that you know, a couple days later, they they came up to me and they were like, um, they were going on stage and they were like, "Would you're doing Ty Cobb with us during this set?" <laughs> so I, I literally had 20 minutes to learn the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grabbed my bass. I ran out to my pickup truck. I threw in the cassette. I listened down to the song. I figured out what key it was first and then kind of figured out the progression from there. And I jumped up on stage. And the first time I ever heard myself play it through an amp was playing it on stage with them. <laughs> and that was Lollapalooza so that's in front of a big crowd too so that was a, that was a big moment another big one um, was the last Ramon show when I played on stage with Lemmy when me and Le- oh, when yeah. we did the song he wrote for the Ramones um, you know Ramones and uh, he, me and Lemmy standing next to each other playing and singing harmonies and shit and I I, I mean that if I would if I would have walked out the door and got run over by a taxi cab, I would have had no regrets to my life, man. That was kind of like the, the, the crowning moment of, of doing, you know, any kind of live experience, man, playing on stage with the Ramones and Lemmy. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. It just, yeah, no, brother. I, no, 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 they, no. They, not that kind of topic. So when you played with Lemmy, he gave up the bass. So you guys both played like double bass. No, we both played bass. We both play because Lemmy plays bass like a guitar, brother. Yeah, he, yeah. He's got crazy rhythm to his playing. 
his picking is really, really cool. So it's not even like we were like beating each other up doing it. Like his playing style is so distinct. It, it was almost more like a rhythm guitar. Yeah, yeah. But um, man, it was cool as hell. And I, I like I've I have I had a really cool um experience with Lemmy. We 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 were filming the Ramones video for our substitute. It was on the Acid Eats record. It's a cover of a, a Who song. And Lemmy was in the video. So after video, the video was shot, me, Lemmy, the girl who did the makeup, and, the, and the, the girl who was the dancer in the video, the four of us all went back to my hotel room and, and spent the night hanging out, partying, and drinking and shit. We, I, that, it, it, it's hard. Like, for me, it, the... I always had to remember, like, I ha- I'm representing the Ramones. So I couldn't, like, fanboy out. I couldn't, like, geek out on Lemmy, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I wanted to be like, you know, tell me about the Hawkwind days, you know what I mean? Like, I want, but I had to, and I, and I always was, you know what I mean? I always just kind of laid back and, and I had to, like, flip the switch and be like, no, he's my, me and him are peers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're peers. We, we do the same thing for work. We live the same life, you know what I mean? He's got more time in, you know, everything else. But, you know, I can't, I can't act like a fan around him. But, um, yeah, that was, that was a particularly good memory too. That was a, uh, a lot of fun. He was a really good guy, man. Good guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's crazy when you talk about, um, like, you know, the, the tours and the final tours and you didn't want the final tour to be in the clubs and, um, you know, and then talking about like, you know, rolling around motorhead and stuff like those days, like, you know, like the, 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 the nineties and stuff was crazy because like, you know, I'd seen, I've seen the Ramones a few times and I've seen them in clubs. Like I saw you like, like in the living room in Providence type of shit. Oh yeah. And then, but I've also seen you guys play bigger venues and it's the same with Motorhead. And like, people don't realize there was a time when people didn't give a fuck about like these bands anymore. Like you'd see Motorhead play in a room for like 300 people. Like, and then, you know, but then like two years later, they're playing in front of 5,000 people again. It was such a weird, weird fucking time. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you really sit back and think about it, like, you know, it was like, it was so up and down like it was crazy yeah it was that um it was like in that hair metal to to grunge period yeah it, like when when things kind of jumped right in that period there was a whole lot of time in between there where it was like nothing was cool like it, literally it was like you know it was like the 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 old store watch were hanging in there but it but the like the new stuff that had broken was like just not cool anymore and that's when grunge all of a sudden the whole seattle thing boom and yeah then everything was then everything was different because a lot of it had to do with those guys and those bands talking about you know talking about their influences and where that you know the stuff that they listen to and blah blah yeah, blah yeah. well you'd, you'd see like nirvana and ssd t-shirts so you know it was like you, like they yeah. were they weren't hiding it for sure you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah and and that that's really what kind of i mean that really uh, that that scene, that movement, um, breathed new life into the the bands that came before them because they totally were like you know they were about they were they were basically promoting the history of rock and roll. You know what I mean? That's really you know Soundgarden and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and you know Alice in Chains and all, all these bands. They were you know uh, they were they really were like promoting the history of rock because they were also influenced 
by a lot of the classic bands like the Ramones, like Motorhead, you know, like Black Sabbath. So it was uh, it was kind of like a a, a a revival of that of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. We we actually, you know, uh, right after Nirvana broke really really big, um, we were playing a festival with them in uh, I think it was in Scandinavia somewhere, and um, we flew in. It was a fly in and play. We flew in, we got on a bus, we drove like, you know, six hours out into the middle of nowhere. Um, and we get off the bus and they walk us into, um, the, uh, catering tent. And there's a bunch of small tables with different bands names on it. And then there's a big table with the Ramones on it. And we are not the headline and Nirvana's the headline. And we're probably four bands down. Um, and, uh, the promoter comes over to meet us and he said, you know, I wanted to tell you guys that when Kurt Cobain came in, he took the name, the Nirvana name tag and the Ramones name tag and switched them <laughs> as like a, a, you know, as like a little sign of respect, you yeah, know, it was a nod. it was a nod for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, we all kind of, at first my reaction was like, what is he being a wise ass? And then I was like, oh no, he's, he's really like, you know, he's really like a little tip of the hat there to the Ramones and, you know, everywhere we went, brother, it was amazing how much respect we got treated with from other bands, you know, other, we really got treated well by other bands, you know, for everybody from Metallica to uh to you know to Soundgarden, the guys from Rancid, the guys from Green Day. I mean, they all really treated us with a lot of love and respect. And the good thing about that was, you know, Johnny and Joey kind of felt like they they never hit the high note. You know what I mean? They thought they were gonna be like the Bay City Rollers. They thought they were gonna be like a, a teen pop idol band, you know? Yeah. But when when they realized that wasn't going to happen and they just went full on punk, they were like, yeah, we, you know, we're going to stay with the underground crowd. They kind of wrote off their careers. Right. But when they saw that the biggest bands in the world at the time, when we were on Lollapalooza, Metallica, Soundgarden, Rancid, right. All of these huge bands, the, the biggest bands of that time period, how those guys came over to their dressing room every day to talk with them and, and, you know, just, and, you know, sit around and shoot the breeze. I think they, they really got it. They understood what an impact that they had on music. Yeah. I oh, think yeah. they understood that their worth wasn't measured in record sales and dollar amounts. It was how much they influenced the culture of rock and roll. And it, and I, I was, and that's what I was saying before. Like, you know, I realized like they deserve the biggest send off and that's why I agreed to do Lollapalooza, you know? Yeah. Um, but that tour really kind of drove it home from them. Like, yeah, see these guys, biggest bands in the world, who do they all list as one of their main influences? You guys. And, and, and it was really good for them. It really was good for them. That and getting inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame, I think did, you know, really really help them to make peace with, with the careers that they wish they had had. 
Yeah, and and you know it's 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 like you said they're probably a little bit removed from it, so they didn't see it until it was right in front of their face. Yeah. But like you know who, what band you know like in these genres like of you know whether it's like punk or metal or anything like wasn't like what kid didn't listen to the Ramones like especially when yeah. when you were like a lot younger like if you were a kid in the eighties there wasn't a lot there wasn't as much to listen to so of course like yeah. it, like Ramones gonna be one of the first things you find you know what I mean because you yeah. know like they were like the a, the the bigger band and like the first wave of like a, a of american punk and stuff you know so yep. it's it, so it was, um it's, it's 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 probably they probably still even with all that they probably still couldn't fully understand the reach that that band had you know like yeah it's because it's bananas yep. like, and, and you got to you probably gave them a look a little perspective on that because you you came in uh, later you know what i mean and and um yeah, came in as a fan too. Like, like you, you, you know, you, you know, like you know firsthand, like well, you know more about like like what reach the the Ramones had, like whether you know, you know, and I'm sure they had some kind of level level of of success with like sales and things like that. But like whether it matched the true impact or not, like you know, it, it's it's that's that's always the tough thing. And some sometimes like when yeah. you're when you're the innovator. And you're the first, and you're the pioneer in that stuff. Sometimes you don't get the just do like, and then the guys that come in right after you kind of get more of the, the 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 monetary benefits yep. of that shit. Like I see that in all kinds of things. Like you know what I mean? Like, and um, and you know, and, dude, and, that's a that's an artist side. That 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 thing that you just said there of recognizing the, the people you have, you have an artist side, brother. You you pick up on on the on the source. Yeah, you you can. You know what I mean, and and I don't mean to get all out there and 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 you know, fancy with the language or nothing. But that really is that's that's an artist's eye when you when you recognize that type of thing when you recognize the the source of uh you know of the influence for everything that comes after it. If you pick up on that type of stuff, man, that's that's good stuff, brother. Yeah, well, you know, it's hard, you know, because we've been around this this earth a few rotations, you know what I mean, and and you see that, but yep. you see it time again, and and not just not just music, like like all kinds of facets of things like that. Hell yeah, yeah. That typically are more artistic event endeavors, like, but sometimes the innovator doesn't get the same commercial success, but will yep. always be, you know have, you know, way more of a reach into the, to in shaping, yep. shaping how things, you know, unfold and, and down the road. They set the table. Yeah. Yeah. They set the table for everything that comes after them. That's, that, and that's exactly right. That's who the Ramones were. I mean, uh, of course, you know, you, you could say that my, you know, my, uh, my view is a bit skewed because I was in the band, but long before I was in the band, when I saw the footage, from the Ramones 77 it's alive you watch that and to me that is you know that, as far as ex excitement and raw entertainment goes that stands up there with Elvis Presley that, you could put that you could put that live performance up against any of the classic live performances and the Ramones stand right up there with the rest of them I mean that is to me truly that is like a, a high watermark for for rock live rock and roll music. Yeah, no, it, that recording and that that live video that really is a high watermark. And uh, you know, I I wish it I wish it would get like re released into theaters or somehow reintroduced on on a major level. You know what I mean? And 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 kind of you know help help 
get something kickstarted in the music scene, something new. You know what I mean? Just to, because like you're saying, you know, that's kind of like the, uh, the beginnings of it, right? You introduce that to a whole new group of, of young people who have never heard it or never seen it before and then see what sprouts up from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 it really is to me one of the most classic live, um, uh, performances in rock and roll history. I, I think personally. Yeah, no, and that's not well, even, like that's said, not a bad idea, especially with the technology today. They could probably like, you know, like clean up the film a little bit and like, yeah. you know, not that, not that you'd even want to really do that with the Ramones. It's going to be nice. It's going to be fucking something about it being gritty is fucking perfect too. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Yep. But, uh, you know, show, show it in both formats, like do like a remix remaster type thing. And then also just show it yep. in the original live, you know, the original raw feed, you know, that'd be fucking pretty badass. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And I mean, you know, you talk about commercial success as a, as a punk rock band, you know, besides sex pistols, what other punk rock band had like a feature of Hollywood film made, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yep. Not even yeah, a documentary, right. just like a feature feature movie, you know, like it was just like a, yep. you know, and, uh, I'm surprised you don't see, I'm surprised that hasn't made a little bit of more of a resurgence. You know what I mean? I don't know who owns that or whatever, but like, you know, that would do good. That'd be a good thing to have on like Netflix or some shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. I'm going to go look for that tonight actually now. Cause I haven't thought about, I haven't seen that movie since <laughs> I was a kid and I'm like, uh, that'd be pretty fucking, that's pretty fucking funny to watch again. Um, but yeah, man, fucking, um, Anything else that we haven't hit on? I mean, what's, what, you know, I know you, you're not really, uh, so you think the solo stuff, you, you're totally kind of done doing that? Or you think that you, yeah, know, you, think you just yeah. needed a break for a little while and might come back? Or Well, I, I, I didn't say I'm never going to ever play out again. Like, I'll, you know, if, if I get, you know, a good offer to go somewhere and do something, you know, I'll go out and do a show. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, but I, I just can't get out on the road and slug it out like I used to. And, you you know, the, the thing is, is at the level I was doing it at, I had to wear too many hats to make a tour happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I was just carrying too much. And that's, um, and that's never a good thing. You know what I mean? And not that I, I, I had a great band, man. I had Lenny Lashley playing with me, you know, I had Pete Sosa. Yep. Um, uh, I had Steve Soto, you know, we lost Steve, but I had Steve Soto with me for years. Uh, from the adolescence, yep. Dan Root from the adolescence. I had Dave Hidalgo and uh, uh, from uh, Social Distortion and Johnny Two Bags from Social Distortion out with me. I, I had the guys. Um, who else did I have out with me? I had the guys from the Aquabats out with me. I had, uh, uh, dude. I, I mean, I've been blessed to to play with some great guys in my band, and and you know having really good solid players due to a you know toward and everything behind me it made my job up there so much easier on nights when my voice sucked they would you know step up and pick it up for me especially steve soto um you know it, it was great and it, and they really made it they really made my job a lot easier but you know when it comes down to like doing your own books and and you know and having to write the paychecks and you know make the decisions and you know try to juggle schedules to make sure everybody can do the tour and it, it you know I, I just don't I, I just don't want it bad enough to do all of that anymore sure. so you now, know my, my now is, it, is it is it that and this is this is not like a uh like i'm not asking this in a derogatory way um just because i know different kinds of guys that are in bands like is it because you don't 
want to give up control to like a tour manager type person or is it because no, you, you don't know, trust brother, them to do it right or are you just like doing it all yourself or i've had a couple of good tour managers along the way absolutely without a doubt but what i really need is a manager i yeah. need like i would need like an overall manager like so because like i don't you know i i have to pay attention to record sales and make sure my royalties are getting picked up like all of these things and I'm just not a great business guy. Like, I don't know how to come up with a business plan and, and, you know, start a website and sell my stuff. I I don't, I don't have no interest in it. And, you know, people have told me straight up, they're like, you have to, these days you have to do all of that for yourself because there ain't a whole lot of money in it and having somebody else do it for you, you know, chances are ain't going to be worth it. And, you know, but I'm to the point where I'm like, well, I don't want to do it that bad anymore to, to do it. I, I think if I were, if I was touring at a at a little bit higher of a level, it, I probably would would be able to handle it a little bit better. But realistically, brother, it's thirty years. No matter yeah. how cool your job is, thirty years deep, you yeah. start you know you start looking at other things. You start looking around. You know what I mean. And, uh, you know, there's, there's still other things I want to do. You know what I mean? I, I really want to get on a bike and I want to, um, you know, I want to ride Australia. I yeah. want to ride, you know, I want to ride down to Ushuaia, the su- southern tip of South America. It's as close as you can get to Antarctica um, and be on land. Like, you know, there's some things like, like that I want to do. You know what I mean? Like just st- stuff outside of music. You know, sure. just yeah. other things that I want to get to. And, um, and like I said, you know, my first step was get myself healthy and get myself into a better state of mind. And, you know, I see that I just got to, you know, keep up with, with what I've been doing and, and just figure out what, you know, what my next step, what I really want to do next, you know, what, you know, where do I really want to do? Like I got a book partially written, you know what I mean? I, I got like 500 pages deep in a book, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's partially, uh, <laughs> that's a big book. Yeah. 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 So, you know, there's, there's things I want to do. There's other things I want to do. And, you know, of course I, I really do. My, I, this is my last baby girl. She's, she's 10 years old. Yeah. This is going to be, I'm not going to have any more babies. So I want to try to enjoy as much time with her as I can before she turns into a teenager and hates my guts. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so, you know, yeah, I, that's, I, that's just what happens. It's nothing personal. And then, yeah. Then they grow up a little and then they appreciate you again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's the book project like without, you know, I know you probably can't divulge too much about it, but what's kind of like the main. No, I, I, I totally no problem. So, um, so, uh, you know, uh, people kept telling me, you gotta write about a book about the Ramones. You gotta write a book about the Ramones. But at this point, there's a lot of books written about the Ramones. Everybody who's ever been involved with the Ramones, I think, is, has written a book, you know? Yeah. Um, there, there's a couple of different books. So, you know, I, I thought I would do it from, you know, from my own perspective and do a book more like a biography. Because my life, even before the Ramones, my life was pretty wild. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of people... Uh, because coming from my background, coming from, you know, low middle class, blue collar background, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to my childhood and be able to understand the things that I say about my time in the Ramones better because 
he'll be able to relate to me. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're always playing the humble guy. Oh, you're always, you're always playing the nice guy, blah, blah, this and that. But, you know, it, like I said before, it's a really odd thing to go from, you know, a band that you idolize to being in the band. And then to be meeting all these other bands that you were a fan of and everything else. And now they're know, a fan of you. I, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I could, I could put up, I could definitely put on a, a good game face and sit there and, and, you know, and, and just shoot the breeze with the guys and get to be buddies with them and everything. But there's always, there's always still that little piece of me that wants to go, man, I love that album. I love that song. What were those lyrics about? You know, yeah. but I never did, you know, I, I, I never did that. I never, I never went down that road, but, um, you know, so sometimes I, I think when I talk about my time in the moments, people are like, you know, people are like, Oh my God, you know, how, you, how could you be so humble or how, how could you possibly deal with that? So I figured if I talk about my childhood a little bit and explain, you know, people know where I'm from, that'll answer a lot of those questions later on. Yeah, and like I said, I had a pretty interesting, you know, I had a pretty interesting life before the Ramones, you know, I, I, I never had a boring life. That's for yeah. sure. Now, were you in other bands before, uh, before the Ramones? I know you, you said you were oh, yeah, in the, yeah, the, yeah. the man of war world, but, uh, but yeah, yep. like, like <laughs> what, what, uh, were you in any like bands that were like, like, were they local stuff or were you in like touring bands before or was the Ramones like, the first touring? Ramones was first touring band, but, um, Long Island, where where I lived back in the day, there were so many clubs on Long Island, yeah. and the scene was so good. You could make a living just playing in clubs, literally, just playing just as a club band touring around on Long Island. You could actually make a living because there was that much money being made as a club band. And the and the you know I played in a, in a couple cover bands when I was younger, but by the time I started playing in clubs. You know, I was already doing, um, I was already doing, uh, uh, in, you know, our, we were already writing our own songs, yeah. doing covers with our own music, but I was always moving towards being in an all original band. Yeah. There's one band I got into called, um, Guitar Pete's Axe Attack. Um, the guy, the guy whose band it was Guitar Pete, he was like a, a Long Island legend. The guy's like a credible blues player, you know? lived down in Nashville for a long time, was a player down there in Nashville. Um, and, uh, a guy that I owe a lot to because he really, like, he really taught me how to handle myself on stage. And I just learned about, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the wider world of music through him. Um, but with that band, Guitar Pete's Axe Attack, we were pretty popular on Long Island. And I got to play in front of some pretty sizable crowds with him. Um, and made some pretty good money with them too. And we did, uh, we, you know, we had two records and we did originals with some covers, but we did classics like, you know, ACDC, whole lot of Rosie and Ace of Spades by Motorhead and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, so I, you know, I was playing in clubs long before I was old enough to drink. I was playing in clubs at 16 years old. You know, I was, I was, you know, (laughs) I, I, when I the first band I played in, I got kicked out of because <laughs> I, I didn't have I didn't have an amp, and uh, and uh, and it was because I blew my amp up. But I didn't have an amp, and they they didn't think I was taking it seriously, and they kicked me out. So I just after I got kicked out, it burned me so bad. I just sat in my room 
And um, I figured out every Iron Maiden song, you know, for the for the first two albums um, for uh, Iron Maiden and Killers, and got the bass parts down perfect. And then I, I you know, I I poured through, you know, Black Sabbath Masters of Rea- Master of Reality and uh, um, Scorpions Love Drive, and I I just started learning bass like playing day and night. I'd go in my, literally, I would play my bass six or seven hours straight, just sitting in my room, jamming, 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 so that when I, the next time I went out to play um, with uh, some friends, all of a sudden it was like, everyone was like, holy crap. And now I had office coming in from all different bands. Sure. Now on a uh, on a Saturday night, and this is when I'm 16, 17 years old, now on a Saturday night, I'm driving from club to club playing with a couple of different bands. Um, I had a friend of mine who was driving me cause I wasn't old enough to drive yet. But, um, but yeah. And then, and then these guys from, uh, guitar Pete Sacks tech, they actually saw me playing, um, uh, with one of the bands and they were like, Hey, you should come play bass for us. We we're about to put out a record. And, um, I listened to the stuff and I dug it. It was bluesy metal. And, um, uh, so I spent a couple of years playing with them, nice. but, um, you know, the club scene died on Long Island and, you know, there was no money to be made anymore. And all the bands were breaking up and everything. And, uh, you know, I was 21 years old. I, I was working, uh, in a uh, Republic Fairchild. We, um, we built the A-10 in Farmingdale, Long Island, the A-10, the, uh, the plane. Um, and, uh, I was working there. Uh, making good money too. And, uh, the factory closed down. So I lost my job there and, you know, the club scene was dead and I was 21 years old and working as a landscaper. And I woke up one morning and I was like, this ain't my fucking life, man. This yeah. is not going to be my life. I got to get out of here. And I went down to the recruiter, went in, saw the recruiter for the Marine Corps and told him I wanted to enlist. And he was like, why? And I was like, look around. Every store on Main Street is closed during the fucking job around here. I was like, I want to go out and see the world. And, you know, I told my, my you know, my dad and, and all his brothers are all military. Um, I said, you know, I just, you know, I want to get out of here. And he was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it's, it's so funny because two years makes a big difference. To, you know, it was probably less than two years later I got the audition for the Ramones. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Now, now, what, what even, what, like, what attracted you to the bass in first place? Because, you know, I, you know, you talked to a lot of people. Everyone wants to play guitar, this and that. But like, what, what attracted you and made you want to pick up the bass? So, the, what happened was, is when I was a kid, I played soccer. I, I was a sports kid. I played soccer. That was my thing. Um, and uh, coming out of junior high into into sorry coming out of yeah junior high school into high school um i had a six inch growth spurt in three months and what it did was it, it just destroyed all the connective tissue in my knees so i had to wear knee braces oh. so here i was going to this high school high-end high school that my father was you know paying through the nose for me to go to because of the soccer program and i couldn't play soccer I couldn't even walk on the stairs. I had to take the elevator. So um, I was sitting on the couch one day. I was just depressed as hell. And my father walked in and he was like, you can't sit around and do nothing. 
He's like, I don't care what you do. I, I don't want to walk in the house and see you fucking sulking. So I had friends that had a band and, um, they had no bass player. So, uh, I said to my dad, uh, can I get a bass? And he, he bass guitar. And he was like, yeah, no problem. So he bought me like a cheap, you know, Fender P bass copy. Yeah. And, um, got it home. I had no idea what to do with it. None whatsoever. But I sat down, you know, I sat down and I started picking off bass lines. I just sounded it out note by note. I just sounded it out. And then I, I started to recognize patterns. And once I recognized patterns, that was it. I, I got good really quick. Once I, I started to understand the patterns and to this day, I can't read or write music. I've never taken a lesson in my life. And, you know, I just, you know, just in the last few years, I actually know all the notes on the neck now. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. It, it, but uh, I I literally sat down and taught myself how to play bass. So I used to go to their practices and like help set up the drums and plug in the amps. I was like the roadie. Yeah. And um, and uh, I uh, I showed up one day with the bass and and they, and they were like, oh, cool, you got a bass, you know, the, the guitar player Keith, a uh, friend of mine. He was like all right, let me show you how to play a couple of things. And I was like, no, I already know a couple of songs. I was like, you know, if you guys start, I can, you know, I can jump in. And, um, that was it. And I just, I just started playing bass. Just as simple as that, you know, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, it was just literally as simple as that. Like I can't do soccer. I have to do something else, but I have to say, I always loved music. I always had an intense, love for music from when I was really little, sure. you know, from when I was really, 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 really little. So, you know, it really wasn't such, um, it sounds like kind of out of left field, but it really wasn't. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. I, I just happened to, you know, I just happened to have a little bit of music, uh, natural music ability. Yep. Um, and it, it, it's funny, my, um, uh, one of my, I think it's actually my great uncle. Um, one of my great uncles who was a priest from, uh, up in Boston. Um, he was an incredible, uh, violinist and, um, uh, you know, just a really, really gifted player. And then one of my other cousins from up there too, my cousin, uh, Steve Canaccio, he is a, a really, really gifted guitar player, singer. Um, and my cousin Freddie played drums. So I, I, you know, when people used to ask me, you know, was music in your family? I used to be like, no, until I started to think like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. 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 I, I do have some natural music ability in my family. And, um, uh, uh, coincidentally, uh, it's your, your Boston family. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. It's oh the, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But, yeah. I, we, I lived up. We lived in Dorchester for a little while when I was a kid, and um, we lived in uh, Peabody for a little while too. Okay, yeah. And and we lived in East Boston with my uh, with my grandmother and grandchildren. Nice. But yeah, I lived up there for a couple of years, but I was a little guy. My yeah. father used to work for Zare. I don't know. Oh, if you, if yeah, you I, rem I remember Zare's. Yeah, it was like a, it was like yeah, a department so, store. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad used to he ran the uh, the um, uh, the sporting goods department at the the store in Revere. Okay. Nice. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. 
But f- well, yeah, fuck yeah, man. So fucking, um, it's crazy. Like when you think about like when we're kids, right? Like I remember like picking up my first bass and my first guitar and all that, and just having yeah. the time and and the the will oh, and the yeah. drive to sit there for hours yeah. and try and figure shit out. It's like there's nothing now that could get me to do that. Like you know yeah. what I mean? Like <laughs> like, but when you're a kid and especially like us, pre-internet, pre you know computers and all that shit yeah like, that's what we did we fucked around with instruments yep. or, or, or other shit you know what i mean and or tried to figure yep. out or read the anarchist cookbook and try and figure out how to make fucking you know m80s and shit or whatever you know what i mean yeah. but, but just dumb shit like that <laughs> but but like it's crazy like that mind because you know when you're that young too your mind's still more like a sponge you can just pick shit up quicker like because you you don't yep. get all this bullshit bouncing around in your head yet you know and it's like, oh yeah but it's crazy man but it's like it's the same story for a lot of people. Like, yeah, I was in like middle school, whatever, going into high school. Yep. I just started fucking around and figured it out myself. And uh, and that's 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 that's, um, that's the punk rock shit too. Like, you know, like not classically oh, trained yeah. guys. You know, it's just like you learn that shit in your living in your bedroom. You know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a, a, a it, it's a, it's a funny thing. You know, I I know a lot of people who came up. Um, you know, who, who came up a lot, you know, in, in, in a lot nicer areas, you know, came from families with more money. Yeah. You know, just plain and simple came up and, uh, you know, and had, um, the opportunity to take music lessons and, and, you know, and all different types of opportunities, you know, they, you know, they, they were able to be on the travel team because their parents could afford for them to be on the travel teams and all that stuff. And, uh, and their experience of, doing that stuff really is no different than my experience, except that for me to be able to do a lot of that stuff, I just did it through sheer willpower. Like literally I just did it through sheer willpower because you know, if, if I couldn't, you know, if, if, if my family couldn't afford something that I wanted to do or, or something that I needed, I just found a way to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just did whatever I had to do. You know what I mean? So, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's, I guess it's just as intense as, um, you know, uh, my one buddy, Keith was an amazing guitar player, incredible, great guitar player, took lessons from a really, um, well-known guitar teacher in New York and, and, you know, really, really super intense playing. But when he plays guitar and I play bass, we're playing on the same level. Yeah. Even though I never took lessons and I, I, you know, and I knew nothing about music when we, when we go at it, when we, when we jam out, you know, we're both like just completely involved in it. You know what I mean? Like every, everything is, is, you know, for every note that you play, you know? So to me, you know, I, I just, I, right now, like these days, I wish I would have been able to take lessons. I wish I had taken lessons and learned to read and write music. You know, there's, there's some things that take me hours to figure out some like really complex stuff. Like, uh, um, I've always been a big fan of yes. I know that's not very punk rock, but you know, when I first started playing bass, my, I just started searching out great bass players and, and, Chris Squire is like a crazy great bass player, unbelievable. And sometimes when I had, when I need to figure out some of his more complex stuff, it takes me a long time and it's super frustrating. I'm always thinking to myself, like if I just learn to 
speed music, I'd be sitting down yeah, with yeah, a yeah. chart playing this shit, no problem. At the same time, I almost like that I have to sit down and, and you know, and figure out these crazy, you know, weird time changes he does and stuff like that. Yeah. I almost enjoy it more, you know, suffering to get to it. Sure. But, you know, you're a lot earn, of times... You're earning it, like, you're earning shit. it. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and, and, and to tell you the truth now, like now, if I if I hit something that it's taking me too long and I'm I'm about to lose you know interest in even bothering with it, I'll flip on YouTube and yeah. I'll go to you know uh, Tempest Fugit Tempest Fugit bass cover and there'll be some kid on there like explaining to you you know exactly how to yeah. play it. Yeah, it's and crazy. It, it, <laughs> it's so it, nuts. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is you want to do, some dude on YouTube or some gal on YouTube yep. has done it filmed it and wants to show yep. you how to do it. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. going back, just even rewinding a little bit, I know there's like things about, you know, there's benefits for lessons and, and learning things, but I think, you know, for, for people, I don't know, especially in like genres like punk and stuff, like or, or metal, whatever, actually whatever you're into, unless you're trying to do classical music and, and you know, whatever, where you got to really learn to read and do all that shit. But like yeah. you learning yourself, I feel like in like, you know, sitting in your room and figuring things out for yourself, I feel like being self-taught also kind of frees you a little bit because you're not worried about scales and is this correct? And it yeah. allows you to kind of yeah. develop your own style a little more and, and come up yeah. come up with your own way. And, uh, and you know, sometimes some of the most unorthodox shit is the shit that just fucking hits. Like you said, like Lemmy doesn't play bass like a regular yeah. bass. You know what I mean? But yeah. do you think if, yeah. if Lemmy was trying to learn scales and this and that, like would would would, have, would he have come out the yeah. same way at the end? I don't know. Like, because I don't know is, you know, and unfortunately he's not with us to, to, to ask him that stuff. But, you know, um, you know, just that type of thing, like you learning on your own or, you know, any kid doing that stuff, like you, I think it allows you a little more freedom to, to, to develop your own style and, and um, be yeah, more creative yeah. with stuff. I think the other thing too, is this brother, like I, the music that I write, I'm not writing, you know, I'm not writing to try to, you know, um, musically express my, emotions through you know through chord changes I, I sometimes i get something in my in my head that i have to say yeah you know what i mean oh, or i get a feeling in me that i have to like i just gotta play and get it out you know what i mean and so when i write something that's where i'm writing from i'm not writing from you know, how do I craft the perfect song or, yeah, yeah. or what's the, what's the, what's the perfect formula for, you know, for, for this song? It's just something in me that I have to get out. Right. And that's really like, and I don't want to make myself, like you know, I'm not trying to over intellectualize my, my abilities or nothing like that, but that's really where, you know, where my playing and where my songs come from. I got something in me and I got to get it out. Yep. It's not because I want to perform this solo for you yeah. or I want to play this piece for you. You know, it's like, I got this inside me and I got to say, it cause I know there's some motherfucker out there who's going to listen to this and go, Holy shit. That's, that's you're, you're speaking for me. You know what I mean? Like I, that's what I grew up with. I grew up with listening to music and especially, um, like Black Sabbath, right? I'm a I'm a Cold War kid. I grew up in in the Cold War era, right? That was like a constant thing for 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 the for our, for my generation was the constant threat of nuclear war. Yeah. 
So when I started listening to Black Sabbath and listening to all those dark lyrics and, you know, about, you know, you know, the, the end of the world and all that stuff, like that shit was real to me. So when I, when I listened to those lyrics, like Ozzy was speaking for me, like he wrote, he wrote, he said exactly what I wanted to say. You know what I mean? So that's the type of stuff that I, when I was a kid, like that's the music I was drawn to was the, the songs that were, were saying things that I didn't have words for, you know? So now when I write a song, I know, I I, I know I've, I found, you know, I've, I've been touring on my own, uh, you know, doing my own thing now since like 2009. I found my tribe. I found the people who listen to my stuff and feel the same way that I felt when I listened to Black Sabbath or when I, you know, when I listened to Iron Maiden or something like that. You know what I mean? I know I have people out there who relate to my music in that same way. And that's really, you know, that, that, uh, you know, when you're, when you write songs, that's what you want to do. You want to connect with the people who hear that song and go, I know what you mean. (laughs) I know what you mean. I'm there with you. I know what you're saying. And even if it's a, you know, I am, you know, I, I wrote, I wrote, I had one song on a record that when my, when my little one was real small, it was like a little thing that I used to hum to her first, just a little melody. I used to hum to her. And then I, then I added some words to it and I started singing the words to her and after doing that you know for three or four years suddenly I realized like holy shit that's a that's a really that's a catchy little tune you know what I mean yeah, that, yeah. that's really a, a really nice little tune and I sat down and I wrote the song and I wrote it about you know of you know about my little girl and that and even though it's about my little girl it just it's kind of like a universally good message for somebody that you love you know what I mean but it, it it like that's the kind of stuff that when people hear it they they really relate to it. It's like yes, like I I, I that's what I wanted to say. That's what was you know that's what I was trying to like get to. That's the place I wanted to get to. You know, and that's what makes you know that's what makes being a, a you know a, a musician and a songwriter. That's what makes it for me. And I know there's dudes out there that are just like, is it a hit? Is that going to be a hit? Yeah. Is that hook heavy enough to give us a hit? And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not, I would never say anything bad about those guys. They're smarter than I am because they're out there making a living instead of surviving. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm out there surviving. You know what I mean? I, I'm just trying to make enough money to put, put a little food on the table and a little extra money in my pocket. Um, but there's dudes, you know, dudes out there that just every song they write, they're like, is this the song? Is this the one? You know? And that's, I give them major props for that, but I just, I'm not like that. I write a song when I feel like I got something to say. I write a song when I want to get something out or I write a riff when I'm, I I, I start feeling really good or I'm really down and I start, you know, finger picking out something on the acoustic. That's why I do it. Absolutely, man. That's, that's, uh, that's fucking, you know what? That's a great way to fucking end this too, man, because that was, uh, That no, like that was like perfect, dude. Like you know, like that was a good fucking song. All right, but fuck yeah, man, dude. We're even. We're like two hours, bro, and that's on the phone, man. Fucking uh, yeah. This has been fucking awesome. That's because I'm stuck in my house with nobody to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unloading all my shit on yeah, you. Yeah, no, no, man. This no. was fucking awesome, dude. And I, you know, 
down the road, man, we can ever do this face to face. It'd be fun to do another one. Um, but but yeah, let, before before we uh, close uh, close this out right now, is there any like um, anything? I know you haven't been doing anything musically, but is there like if someone wants to find out more shit, like you know, obviously uh, I can I'll post up your your Instagram. But if you want to give you yeah, Instagram, Instagram or, and Facebook. I, my feed is all. I keep my feed positive, and it's always interesting. I don't I don't just dump shit up. I usually like. You know, I'll pump up a couple of good Ramones memories, shoot some nice scenery from the house, a little video from me hiking up in the hills or something, goofy stuff. Like I keep my I keep my feed um, interesting in a way that I would, you know, I, you know that some dude, some people's IG accounts I try to avoid just because it's like it's, everything's such a bummer. You know what I mean? Yeah, everything's yeah, like yeah. so serious and blah blah blah. My I always treat my my feet like a little bit of an escape you know what i mean like if you need a break from everyday life and you want to have a giggle check out my feed okay so and it's just uh <laughs> and is there like a website too or is it just you know, your instagram and facebook yeah i don't need my website don't really operate much anymore okay well I'll, I'll put those i'll put i'll put the uh instagram and all that stuff in the in the show notes cool. and everything um right and, on uh, but yeah, man, let me uh, let me shut this off here. I'm not gonna sh- I'm not gonna hang up yet, but I'm just All gonna right. shut the recorder off here. But again, dude, yep. th- thanks so much for 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 talking tonight. It's been fucking awesome. Let me uh, shut this down here. Yeah.